on the examination of the galaxies of space, images begin to appear. Images of strange and powerful forces. But of all the forces in the universe, the two most powerful, Hulk Hogan and the Ultimate Warrior, prepare to explode. Champion versus champion, title for title. It's the ultimate challenge. It's WrestleMania. Stephen, I've left you to second here because I know that obviously this is, you know, where you live and breathe, basically, Savage and Lilith, <laughs> their latest chapter in their uh, epic story. Yeah, I think <laughs> I could watch Randy Savage wrestling entries for 12 hours and not get bored. However, I am going to be negative about Elizabeth for once. What is she doing here? She's rubbing the salt in the wound. Just leave Randy alone, or at least for 12 months. What are you doing, Elizabeth? What a bitch. Um, you, yeah, you know, well, I'm going to go as far as that. You can say that, Matt, but I can't bring myself to say it. <laughs> But here we go. And as you said, the crowd ate it up. There's a lovely sign in the front row on that old computer papers, which probably took about four hours to print this, that read King of Geeks. And I bet whoever that was about was devastated by this. I thought Sapphire's offense was second worst in the history of WrestleMania, with Shane McMahon slightly worse than her. Jesse said the finish stunk. And as much as it hurts me to pour scorn anything with my beloved Macho Man, or Macho King in this case, um, I didn't think it's worked on any level. And no, I never, ever want to see Elizabeth dance again unless it's in my arms with a boys to men song in the background during a lovely 4am dream. But no, this was a terrible, terrible WrestleMania match. I'm glad you added the word dream at the end of all that yeah. because, because that would have that would involve some Otherwise, very strange uh, lifestyle choices yeah. if that was going to happen now. Um, is, yes, I'm not going to comment on that because anything I say will just dig me back into a, a creepy hole. Merry Christmas and welcome to the Random Wrestling Review. This particular episode comes out on Christmas Day itself and so this should find you completely full of turkey or a non-meat substitute and in need of a bit of relaxation or you're listening to it days, weeks, months or even years later and all this Christmas talk is completely out of place. Whatever the case, we are here and happy to have you with us. Joining me today is firstly Matt Roberts whose status as the polar bear of the podcast has never been more secure. Ho 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 gentlemen. <laughs> 
Ho, 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 a Cena salute. It's all, it's all over the place. I mean, what's going on? <laughs> and also we have pro wrestling moments, Stephen Coriander. How you doing, Do you know Stephen? what? I'm good. And the fact you said it came out on Christmas Day sent a buzz of electricity through my body. And I, I, I'm so, I was already up for talking about WrestleMania 6. And I'm even more <laughs> up for it now. So, yeah. Merry Christmas, everyone. I hope that you're snuck away from your terrible in-laws to listen to us talk about wrestling. Yeah, yeah I'm gonna, I'm gonna have my in-laws over at Christmas this year, Ooh. and uh, I'm, I'm quite, I'm quite comfortable with it. To be honest, it's gonna be fine. Okay. It's the first Christmas, obviously, with our baby, and like our, uh, my in-laws are coming over, but they're the only people coming over, so I don't have to. They don't have to be mad, and they're not like, they're not high kind of maintenance people whatsoever. Yeah. So I can just, I can, it's just gonna, it's gonna be perfectly fine. They will help with the baby as well so it means that the day will be a bit more relaxing it's going to be fine I have no no problem at all Good and stuff. that was probably the least interesting thing that's ever been said <laughs> on the Random Wrestling Review so, I liked um, it leave it in leave it in leave it in <laughs> maybe I will what I will also leave in is the next bit so before we jump into the veritable feast that is Wrestlemania 6 we have a starter which is the best indicator of one's social class on Christmas Day what about you guys do you have starter on Christmas Day lunch hell yeah oh Stephen's middle class Matt no that's working class. There you go. Told you. Do you, you not have a starter then? What is never heard of having a starter on Christmas Day dinner <laughs> in my life? I love it. I knew this would be the big the, the big rift in the podcast. I'm actually with Matt on this one. Never had a starter. Uh, my oh, family. Whoa. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But I knew, but I was aware of some people having it because previous exes that I've been out with, I've, I've been to their families for Christmas and they've had starters. And I'm like, see, this is, this is the middle class side of the world. <laughs> coming in here They're, and it's it's weird yeah it's really weird like you know like i don't know i don't even know what kind of i can't even remember what we had prawn cocktail prawn cocktail yeah, that's it. yeah, yeah. That's it. or smoked salmon sometimes smoked salmon oh, a little, yeah, bit smoked of, salmon. Uh, little bit of like brown bread and stuff matt you you you've been to my hometown i think you can say you can fairly say oh, i'm not from a middle class place i think it's probably fair to say, <laughs> isn't it? that, that's true my dad and my mum from Fulham, but it was a, it was a real shithole. Oh yeah, well, Fulham. So, yeah, so I know Fulham now is a bit, but it wasn't then. So it's but, a, yeah, it's a okay. bit. The Fulham Fulham Fulham's ground sits on one of the most expensive pieces of land in the world. Yeah, that is true, but I'm talking about like my dad was brought up in like wartime Fulham, so it wasn't it wasn't, it wasn't great then, to be fair. But yeah, I, I guess I, I shouldn't use that as a as a as a thing to say that I'm not that, you know. But anyway, it's all good. It's all interesting, good. interesting stuff. That as I said, it's interesting to see how the other half lives. Stephen, that's all it is. Mm. I mean, smoked salmon—that's upper middle class as well. You're properly going for it there. I don't think I think smoked smoked salmon now. I do, there was a documentary on Netflix about fish. Uh, I can't remember what it's called now, but I don't think I've eaten smoked salmon since because it's. I real, think I know really what it bad. was. It was yeah. just, um, uh, was it Seaspiracy or something like that? Seaspiracy, yeah, yeah. It's yeah. really good. It's really, no, it's really good. It's really yeah. good. It's a really good documentary. Yes, before we jump into the veritable feast that is WrestleMania 6, it's time for the Random Wrestling Review's festive list of thanks, starting with all the various hosts of the show this year, Gavin Duenas, Alex Rockstar Kirky, James Truepenny, Old Man Sam Carey, Tom Smith, and of course the two reprobates we have today, Stephen Coriander and Matt Roberts. Also a thanks for the continued support of Rory McNamara from the Wrestling 20 Years Ago podcast, as well as John Morgan, the designer of our logo that we unveiled this year, as well as Lee Spicer and Rob Keane, who myself, Old Man and Tom went to school with, and who I am aware have been regular listeners to the show. Also thanks to some of our listeners who engage with us most frequently on social media, Macho Man Dandy Savage, previously Daniel Emanuel, keeping up his great Twitter naming, Nav Deep Rahil, whose recent Spotify wrapped revealed us to be his most listened to podcast. Chris Walkton, 
who's been with us from pretty much the very start. Bad WWE Stats, who are a constant source of humour. Paul Sekulich, who recently gave us a lovely review over on Apple Podcasts. Paul Matthews at the Classic Wrestling Review, who is conducting a project so big, even I wouldn't attempt it. Anthony Davis, who I need to apologise to, as now that we're doing the WrestleMania series, there is no guest the next show covered. Competition on Twitter, which he was the undisputed champion of. Ben Everson for his support and shout-outs over the last two years. David Basinger, who I still haven't gotten to the bottom of whether he is the husband of Kim, and also <laughs> Jed Underground on Twitter, Christopher Madriaga on Facebook, and Tahir Faki on Instagram. Also, thank you to anybody else who has listened, downloaded, rated, reviewed, followed, mentioned, or interacted with us in any way, shape, or form. Enjoy the rest of your Christmas from all of us at the Random Wrestling Review. Breathless. Wow. Incredible, Ben. And if that from... guy is the husband of King Bas- Kim Basinger, I bet he's going to have a better Christmas than any of us. Fair <laughs> play. I should also, at this point, say that I have a cold. I will do my best to ensure that no coughs, sniffs or anything like that make it onto the show. But you may have to cope with me losing my voice a little bit as the show goes on and gradually just dying a little bit every single second we go. Like Matt watching the early WrestleManias, dying second by second. (laughs) (laughs) Pretty much. (laughs) Indeed. So let's get down to business and our expectations for WrestleMania 6. Stephen, let's start with you this week. Uh, I was quite up for this, to be honest. I haven't watched WrestleMania. I can tell you that last time I watched WrestleMania 6, I was horribly hungover after a de- terrible night out in London on and on in Piccadilly Circus, where I humiliated myself so badly with a girl that I'd been pursuing for about four years called Alison Joseph. Alison, if you're listening, it was too late now, unfortunately. I'm married, so what can I, what can I say? <laughs> I don't know what I was going to say, though. I don't know where I was going. I haven't prepared to say this. But yeah, I watched it on that Sunday night, the next day, um, and that would have been about 2004. So I haven't seen the show since then, but I was quite up for it. So there we go. What about you, Matt? It took me a while to realise that I hadn't seen this because I, I thought for, for some reason I had... And I was like, hang on, have I seen that? And yeah, basically, I hadn't seen it. Um, but yeah, g- given the absolute fantastic quality of the last couple of WrestleMania so far, you can imagine my expectations. Thinking, I can't wait for this. Not. <laughs> because realistically, the majority of WrestleManias up until this point have been utter dog shit. So I'm not going to lie. I can't say I was looking forward to this one either. Now, come on, Matt. You gave WrestleMania 5 a 5 out of 10. So it couldn't have been utter mm. dog shit. The overall, it's on, certainly on an average, they've pretty much been shite up until now. Yeah, I mean, you did give WrestleMania 1 and 2 a 0, um, and WrestleMania 4 a, th- a 2, I think, didn't you? So there, yeah. there have been some low there have been some low ratings. But anyway, let's hope WrestleMania 6 turns you round. Now, for me, I was kind of expecting this to be a one-match card, I'll be quite honest with you. Unlike WrestleMania 5, which I, I've always thought of as quite a decent show overall, WrestleMania 6, I've always thought of being a pretty poor show overall with a very good main event. So that was my viewpoint going in. And that's really all I could think going in. There was nothing else that really stood out to me. I just thought we're going to get something that's quite similar to four, five, six, seven. They're all, they all feel quite similar. I think these, these four in the, in four from four to seven, and they've got lots of matches. They've got some big showpiece matches. Certainly, obviously, we had Hogan and Savage at WrestleMania 5, and this one's got one, obviously. But there's also a lot of matches that don't mean anything. There's also a lot of matches that shouldn't be there. And they're also got the similar cast of characters throughout all of them. They're they're pretty much all the same group of, of wrestlers. And that kind of starts to change WrestleMania 8 and so and, f- and going on forward from that. So that's why these, in my mind, all sort of blend in a little bit together. This is the last show I didn't wasn't watching at the time. So this right. uh, SummerSlam 90 was the first one I was watching at the time. So, yeah, this is just before before that. 
I, I wasn't watching until WrestleMania 10, but I did have two wrestling figures before I properly started watching, and they were Hulk Hogan and the Ultimate Warrior. And mm. I had a WCW ring, though, which was kind of strange. With a cage? Um, <laughs> yes, yeah. And, and a much better bottom, didn't it? The the ring floor um, was completely level, whereas the WF one was dog shit, and it was like you couldn't you couldn't like balance the figures on it, basically. But oh, wow. I must be honest... I did struggle with the WF figures in the WCW rings. I was like, this is not realistic. So like my eight or nine year olds, like, I can't have, just can't have this. I can't have this. So yeah. Yeah. I, I never used to use the, the, the rings. I, I, I found them limiting. I, I just, okay, yeah. I, I, I basically just pretended there was a ring most of the time. Yeah. I think that's probably, I used to do like a little ladder matches with a bit of string hanging the belt down from the ceiling and stuff like that. But I used to use the WCW ring for that. So it was on a ladder though, climbing up. It was like a cage ladder match kind of thing. Yeah, you didn't you didn't have enough uh, ambition there, mate. So I had, um, <laughs> I, I funnily enough, this is at least ten years, possibly more, before the King of the Mountain match in TNA. I had the Mountain match. So I know I was a when I was a very young child, I had a little seat which had the uh, a bee carved into it. it was a wooden seat. It was a little I don't know round bit of wood and then on top of it a bee that had been carved to be the back of the chair and it kind of probably came up to my it probably would come up to my knee now i'd imagine that's how Mm. kind of small it was but obviously compared to the wrestlers it was pretty damn big and so that was the top of the mountain for the mountain match and you had to claim claim the belt from the top of the mountain i'm pretty sure aew have similar similar ideas to this these days (laughs) basically uh, i wouldn't be surprised if they come up with it at some point in the next few years so talking points talking points guys let's uh, let 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 me let me insert myself first today john because i think there's only one thing we can talk about first to be perfectly honest let's be honest and that is hulk hogan versus yama warrior now i specifically want to talk about what happens after the match because that's the famous bit i think or one of the most famous parts of this match but let's talk about the match first because obviously it would be a bit silly to talk about the afters before we talk about the actual match now i know Stephen, this might go against your previous request because obviously when we did wrestlemania 4 you were very eager to make sure the main event was done last yeah no i um i'm a traditionalist ben i like i like <laughs> i like the order but i do i do think this makes sense and this actually my talking point is on this and it probably fits in after yours as well so yeah that's, it's all good it's your show ben it's not mine so you can do whatever you want mate i'm i'm democratic <laughs> to the core Stephen. that's uh, that's the problem so yes it's hulk hogan versus the ultimate wire hulk hogan is the wwf world champion on wire is the intercontinental champion all the belts are on the line the match goes for just under 25 minutes and the end comes after hulk hogan hits a big boot then goes for the leg drop but warrior manages to avoid it he then runs the ropes hits the splash gets the pin and we have a new combined wwf and intercontinental champion the match itself let's start with that matt Let's hear what you thought about this match. <laughs> right. Here we go. Okay, so <laughs> you you were saying just before that you felt that this show was a one-match card. And do you know what? To me, you're damn right it was. And this was pretty much the only thing worth talking about throughout the entire thing. So I, I did have something similar to a talking Is, point of this. So I'm glad so that you did bring it up. Before you go on, Matt, I yeah. just want to say that you are wrong because – we need the listeners to keep listening for the next two and a half hours or however long this show goes on for. So this isn't the only thing we're talking about. It's just the best thing on the show. Right, Matt? Let's let's go with that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Do you know what? I mean, when I first saw how long this match was, I thought, oh, shit, here we go. I saw 25 <laughs> minutes. I thought, you have got to be fucking kidding. I was thinking, Hogan and Warrior for 25 minutes. As again, there is absolutely no way on earth this is going to be anything but a train wreck. 
I will happily admit that I was dead wrong. This was an absolute joy and pleasure to watch. It's not the the best match in the world and, you know, technical-wise you'll ever see, but my God, the things that they do, they do so well and better than anybody. And one match that it reminded me of, um, and it's probably the other way around, really, for a lot of people, um, is Hogan Rock um, at WrestleMania 18. That was probably copying this. Um, but that, that part of that was sprung to mind with um, the, the sort of the tests of strength towards the start of the match, I thought was fantastic, which is not something, you know, you normally even think of it as that big a deal. But seeing Hogan slowly go down and, you know, and end up on his knees, you know, be, you know, from the test of strength, I thought that was amazing. And initially, when he then did it to Warrior, I thought, oh, damn, I was like, I wish they kind of would have left it with Warrior kind of having the upper hand. But then pretty much the entire match was each guy would try to outdo the other and they then reverse it. So I was like, oh, OK, so that's cool. It was almost like a mirror. One guy would do something. The other guy would then do it. You know, Hogan would do something and then Warrior would do it. Like I said, the, the crowd were into it. Start of it. They were going batshit crazy for the pair of them. And, for, you know, for all their faults, I mean, that finish was quite a fast pace, just really sort of quickly just that it was really frantic and it felt like they were desperately trying to get the pin over the other you know they were desperately trying to get the win and you know when warrior did eventually get that pin it literally felt like oh yes i've done it but he really wanted the victory crowd loved it it was a great match and of all the people who continue to impress me on these shows the warrior standards of matches has been bloody brilliant which shocks me considering what what i've heard of him but my god this was great i, I, I said it didn't i a couple of weeks ago matt i'm a warrior you say what you want and i think he's terrible as well <laughs> but these early pay-per-views there are he's a few great. people who have as many good matches as the warrior has now i don't know how much is that down to him to be perfectly honest but sometimes you have to say fair is fair Stephen, what about you so Dave Meltzer, what do you reckon that Dave Meltzer said about this the following week? He I was positive with things a, negative. I don't give a flying fuck. <laughs> he said it was the best book match he'd ever seen. Mm. The best book match he'd ever seen. Now, whatever you think about Hogan in later life, seeing him in this time is iconic. And I was tapping my foot along to his entrance. Uh, and there's one word that springs to mind for this. And, and I think it is it's completely true. It was a masterpiece. Now, I don't think that every single second of it was perfect. But the sum of the parts get to that level. It was just a phenomenal effort for both men. I'm pretty sure Pat Patterson was the one that helped um, put this together. Um, and I thought this was the very definition of a must-watch wrestling match. This was absolutely outstanding. And it lives up to, um, you know, it, it doesn't, I can't think of the right word. It, it, it lives up to its day in 2022. It's, you know, it's just as good. It's not a match that's aged badly at all. The crowd was loving it. I thought this was ridiculously good. And Jesse Ventura particularly who was great all night a gorilla on a different level um, it's quite sad to think this is the last of them at wrestlemania but this was incredible an incredible wrestling match so steven you've already mentioned my mvp of the night which is pat patterson yeah uh, for, for, for putting this match together because as far as i understand he quite literally put it together piece by piece and went over it again and again and again with hogan and warrior to make sure they could remember it all and did it exactly as they were supposed to do it I think that, again, that kind of shows perhaps the faith in the warrior, probably also in Hogan a little bit to get this absolutely right. But it is booked magnificently, agented magnificently, whatever, however you want to, however you want to term it. It was it was a wonderful, wonderful match. 
And I agree with you, Stephen. It holds up. It is a masterpiece. And I think mm. it's better than Savage and Steamboat at WrestleMania 3. I think it is better. You talked then, Stephen, about it not aging. I think the Savage Steamboat match has aged a little. Not massively, mm. but just a little. This hasn't. And I think it's better. And I guess there's a sort of sense of what is what is it you're looking from wrestling? It, there's probably a little bit of that about this. To me, I'm just looking for the, the end product. The end product here is a match which is 25 minutes long is invested in from start to finish from an absolutely rabid rabid crowd which ends up being incredibly dramatic towards the end and people hanging on the edge of their seats to see who's going to win or lose how you get there doesn't necessarily matter it could be the two worst wrestlers in the world if they get you to that point it's great it's a masterpiece it's like saying that for example it's like if you took a film and you're like well the acting was really bad so i didn't so it can't be a great great film well actually the whole film isn't just about the acting it's about the script and it's about the way it makes you feel and it's it's about the soundtrack and it's about the direction and it's about the special effects and it's about every other piece of that jigsaw that comes together just because the technical aspect of one bit of it all of those things could be bad but if they came together to make something really good then so what you know it doesn't matter you know what i mean so that is really my viewpoint when i get when i come to this is that i don't care how technically sound it is and there are some bits where it gets a little bit tedious from modern eyes because you're watching the bits when they're in the test of strength maybe or you're watching the bit where one of them's got a rear chin lock on the other whatever but actually overall it's it's an absolutely great great match in my opinion it's absolutely brilliant it's match of the night pat patterson mvp just totally totally great stuff from both of them and again yeah going back to warrior like it, it's hard to ignore you know we've we, we have already reviewed wrestlemania 7 and that will be reposted next week on new year's day by the way and Stephen, you said that his match with savage is your you know in your mind the whole thing of that is one of the best things wwf have ever done it's the best thing the wwf ever done, i think yeah yeah so and a big again, part of that's the match you can't yeah. deny the match in that yeah exactly yeah. and and we've already you've matt you you waxed lyrical over savage versus warrior at SummerSlam 92 fantastic i think his match with rick rude at wrestlemania 5 is really good i gave it my match of the night there um over the main event which probably is a little bit a little bit controversial but still yeah you know, he didn't he he did show up for the big matches and again <laughs> Could have been his opponents carrying him. Could also have been Pat Patterson laying this match out like this. I don't care. Again, the end result is what counts. And the, the end result's great. Yeah, who, who gives a shit? As long as, long as he delivers, when, when the time comes, as long as he delivers, great. And he does. So I was going to, so my talking point is what comes after the match. So mm. it's the it's the infamous, if you like, the classic Hulk Hogan gets out of the ring, goes and gets the WWF title, gets back in the ring, looking all sad, hands it to Warrior, shakes his hand, they hug, they sort of put each other's arms up, or Hogan puts Warrior's arm up or whatever. And then Hogan gets back into the little kind of cart that they had, again, shaped like the ring, but like they did at WrestleMania 3, and is looking sad all the way back. Camera keeps going back to him. And there's this legend, if you like, that basically this was Hogan's attempt to get all the eyes on him, to pull the attention away from the new crowned world champion, the Ombud Warrior. My perspective on this, and I'd be interested to get your perspective, is I think this is a myth. I don't think Hogan tried to do that. I think Hogan was happy to say that in the future because it made him look really clever and really smart. I just think this is what the company thought was the best thing to do because you go in going into the match they both cut a promo during the course of this night and they're talking about wanting to have like warrior talks about wanting to bring the hulkamaniacs and the warriors together and there's obviously throughout the match it's 50 50 i I couldn't really discern who was more popular of the two because it was 
almost as split as I've ever seen any crowd in terms of 50-50. And I just thought it would make sense for them if they were thinking about going, we probably need Hulk Hogan to endorse Warrior after this match so that when Hogan goes away and records his movies and doesn't do any work for a while, we still get all the Hulkamaniacs coming because they now love the Warrior because Hulk Hogan endorsed it. I think it was a call made by Pat Patterson probably and the company to say that you need to get back in the ring, give the belt to Warrior so that you're endorsing him and all the fans love you. And I think it was only in retrospect when people started saying oh look at Hogan kind of politicking you know pulling the fans into his direction later on Hogan thinking about it and going yeah all right I'll go with that because that makes yeah. me that makes me sound like a really great wrestling mind I'll, I'll happily say that that's what I was doing that's my perspective on it I don't know if anyone's got any different perspective on it I think I think you, you I think you're absolutely spot on there I think it so my talking point was why this didn't work on pay-per-view um, and I think that feeds into what you've said. So I think that the whole build up to this match was keep them both babyface, keep them both babyface, but give it an, just a tiny bit of dissension with them. But it's only so much that they still both get cheered and people don't turn on one. So whether they whether they sacrifice something, I think they did sacrifice. They absolutely sacrificed something at the box office here for this particular match, to, but to try and keep it on the level going forward. But I, I think you're right. I think the Hogan um, kind of answer works even better given that the Warrior failed because he can sort of play into that or it failed, Warrior failed, whatever, it failed. And and yeah, I, I think that that is, you know, that is the key bit. They just wanted to, they desperately wanted to keep both of these baby faces really at the detriment of the of the of the um, financial income for this this show, which was what, 200,000 buys down on WrestleMania 5? Because there wasn't a clear, um, you know, clear baby, a clear baby face. So there wasn't a clear heel in it. It was two baby faces and kind of a bit. I watched the main event, not to go go off on a, on a tangent. Obviously, the, for, so for WrestleMania four, you had the big famous main event with the Hogan title change. WrestleMania two, you had sorry, WrestleMania five, you had um, for the main event, you had. Scott, I'm explaining this really well. Wipe the rabid foam from your chin and start again. <laughs> Let me start again. <laughs> so I, I watched the main event three. So for WrestleMania four, you had the big angle with the biggest, you know, the biggest uh, TV ratings ever on NBC. The next year you had the Mega Powers exploded, but main event three, the focus was a Randy Savage and Hulk Hogan rematch with James Buster Douglas, as special guest referee, rather than Mike Tyson. And then you had Earthquake, uh, Dino Brother versus uh, the Ultimate Warrior. Earthquake interfered, attacked the Warrior. Hogan came out. Warrior didn't really like that he was saved, and that was it. And you had some diabolically bad promos from the Ultimate Warrior and some promos from Hulk Hogan that were interested politically looking in the future. But you just didn't get it. And I, and I think I think you're absolutely right, Ben. I don't want to go off onto my thing, but I think you're absolutely right in terms of what you think with the, the Hogan Warrior thing at the end, because they were just they just wanted them to both be baby faces. And I don't think it was the right call. And I just I just think also, if you're in this position, remember, they've not done this before. Baby face versus baby yeah. face. They've never transitioned the title directly from a baby face to a baby face before. First time it's ever happened. So they yeah. they're on new territory. They're on new ground. And probably not many wrestling promotions have done anything like it either. Mm. Like maybe had been done a couple of times but not much so they were in a position where they were like how do we how do we end this match so that everybody going forward is behind warrior as the champion and i just think that they thought well we'll just have hogan endorse him that has to happen so that warrior retains hogan's fans going forward do you know what? I I was looking forward to the sort of post match almost as much as the uh, as part of the match itself because I I certainly heard all about it. I mean it's 
you know, quite sort of legendary story. Um, and I remember, I'm not sure if it was Hogan's uh, sort of autobiography years ago is, is when I sort of first heard about it. And looking at it, I was expecting it to be really, sort of really over the top and really easy to spot. And I was looking at it and I was like, no, not really. Um, I mean, I, I don't I don't think the camera sort of stayed on Hogan for like longer than was necessary or anything like that to to really hammer the point home that he was, you know, quote unquote, stealing the spotlight. You know, it, it just looked like, OK, we give him the belt. They had a hug and OK, it it did show, you know, little bits of him as he as he was leaving. But, it, it you know, camera stayed on Warrior, showed him doing his celebration. I thought, oh, OK, so I, I can't say that I thought that, you know, Hogan planned to you know, sort of steal his spotlight or anything like that either. So I agree. Yeah, I think the other thing, uh, I'm going to quickly just revert back to the match itself because not that it's particularly relevant to this conversation. I just wanted to say how much I love the end of the match as well mm. because they do the Hogan Hulk up spot, which is the classic Hulk Hogan's going to win the match now. This is how we do it. And then have the Warrior avoid the leg drop and then get the pin. And it's just marvelous i just think that bit that end is just like shoot like even now watching it i was like fuck come on yes like it, mm. it just it really gets you this is a really really good end i so, rewatched sorry, let- it at least five times because i was like I, I felt exactly the same as you do it's so good like looking yeah. at different people in the crowd and how they react to it it's just yeah it's incredible it's just great it's just really great but yeah going back to that whole hogan warrior post-match thing so i don't think hogan tried to do it and i think this was a wwf thing i think this is what they decided I guess my sec- my next question then, and this might lead into more of what you're talking about, Stephen, is having done it, have made the, having made the decision to do it, was it part of the reason why it didn't work with the Warrior? So maybe Hogan didn't try to take the spotlight, but maybe he got some of the spotlight as a consequence of what WWF did. And maybe WWF made a conscious decision to give him some of the spotlight because they were hedging their bets because they didn't know that the Warrior was going to be able to do it. They hoped he would, but they didn't know for definite. So they still wanted to give Hogan a little bit of thing. There's a line at the end of the show when Jesse Ventura says i do believe hulkamania will live forever and he says it quite emphatically as if it's like a really resonant piece of commentary as if you're that's almost like the last thing you're supposed to go away with and it feels a bit like they are hedging their bets here they're not going all in on the warrior because they don't know but they do know that hogan can still do it if they want to go back to him i think that it wouldn't have worked with anybody at all so i think you've got You've got a massive, massive, massive disadvantage to whoever is in this role. And I, I think, and I've never, I, I've come up with a theory about the Ultimate Warrior. I think this might be on the internet, the dark depths of the internet somewhere. I think the people that bought pred- predominantly tickets to WWF shows around this time would have been families, so sons and daughters with their mum and dad. And I think a dad or mum could get on board with Hulk Hogan, with Hulk Hogan and the message. And, and this might only be a small percentage of the, of the drop, but you just kind of go with me here a little bit. So I think if you're if you're mum and dad and you're, you're and you're watching Hulk Hogan, it's a pretty wholesome message and you can get behind that. And it makes sense. The Warriors promos were absolutely awful. Now, I, there was there were the promos on this show, there were promos on the main event, uh, other promos in the, the video package leading up to this. I think people thought this guy was a bit of an idiot. And I wonder whether this was just a bit of a turnoff for people because, like, well, this guy's just a bit of a job. What is what is he talking about? Like, and I, I wonder if that's enough to get the dad. And because kids have got, you know, we're, we've all probably been there where we, we probably stopped watching wrestling for a little bit. You know, if the dad's like, oh, come on, Jimmy, let's watch American Gladiators rather than this. And I think that's I think there's a, there's a part to it. So I, I'm not sure it would have worked with anyone. And I think the warrior in terms of the look, great look. But I don't think there was a much. We talked about his good matches and I don't think match quality has anything to do with it. I think it's the substance of that act 
and how that act appealed to adults who were with the ticket buyers and the pay-per-view buyers versus how the Hulk Hogan Act, the established act, worked for those people. Plus, you're never going to whoever you follow Hogan with is not going to it's not going to work at the level of Hogan. Savage did a really good job in 88 and 89 trying to fulfill that role. But it wasn't time to go back for Savage. There's no one else really that was in the company they could have gone with. It just it just was never it was it was always doomed to fail. That's a fascinating perspective about the adults. Um, I think that's I think that's really interesting. Really, really interesting. Matt, what do you think? They, they were definitely hedging their bets. I, I think, yeah, 100 percent there. I, I'm, I'm quite fascinated as to why perhaps they they didn't really go with Savage. Because, again, particularly, you know, when, when I think back, you know, the history of wrestling and all the guys I've heard lots about of and, and certainly seen, I always felt that Savage was the sort of second biggest guy maybe afterwards. So I, I was quite you know, convinced that that perhaps would have been the guy to go with. So looking at, you know, going with Warrior instead, I mean, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I'm wondering why they didn't do Savage instead. I think youth. I think Savage is older than Hogan. So yeah, I think that's, that's the, right the, yeah, yeah. Only, only a year older, though. Yeah, yeah, only a year older. So, so some comparatively, but I think, I don't know how you get back to Savage there, unless you have a heel champion. I'd, I'd, no. I'd wish I'd, yeah. And it's, so it's still, a, what was the the most, the first real significant heel run as champion? I can't even think. Yokozuna, maybe, I guess. Well, I mean, Flair, I suppose. But I know it wasn't long, but it was still Yeah, so Flair was Rumble to WrestleMania, wasn't it? So I suppose that one. But then the real long one was Yokozuna, wasn't it? I suppose in terms of, what, nine months. But yeah. you think it's a long time to be a, be a babyface promotion. And, and I guess Vince had got into had got used to that being the way that he promoted wrestling. I think there's... I'm going to go a little bit deeper again on this because I think there's more to it than just what you... I think what you said is absolutely... I've never thought about that before, Stephen. And I think you're probably right. There's going to be an element to that. I think for me, though, that Hogan was the first champion that they'd had in the history of the company where they would wanted to keep him as champion, but he wanted to go away and do other things. Now, Mm. there's an argument that San Martino is in the same position. San Martino was fed up of being on the road, wanted to come off the road and force them into having him drop the belt because being the WWF champion in the 60s and 70s was an absolute ball ache, um, to put it mildly. If you imagine as well the, the the increased travel times because of the time of, you know, in history uh, and him traveling everywhere, he just never went home, basically. And so he basically forced them into into having him drop the belt both times. So he, he, like basically, I think the first time he'd asked to drop the belt after about three or four years, and it was still another three or four years after that that they finally found the person they were willing to hand over the belt to. And again, the same happened during his second title reign. It was only supposed to be a year long and ended up being another three years. But they'd had a lot longer to prepare for it. With Hogan, Hogan wanted to go. He wanted to go and do other things. He didn't want to be around all the time. So they were kind of forced into this situation. Unlike with, say, Bob Backlund, who for the last year or so of his six-year title reign kind of was getting mixed reactions because people were fed up of the goody-two-shoes act, which is what Bob Backlund had. And as a consequence, when they went from Backlund, they were like, well, where we're going next is Hogan. So Hogan's the next big babyface. Completely different from Backlund. Very reflective, I think, of American society, the WWF champion. Certainly was in the 60s, 70s and 80s for me. So in the 60s, San Martino was the working class, immigrant, hardworking, morally good but willing to like sort things out with his fist kind of character. Basically, the way most Americans felt about themselves, you know, hardworking, good people, blue collar, but would would sort out their problems and were willing to defend their family and friends when it came down to it. 
you go into the 70s and you come out of the the Watergate scandal and America's looking for something whiter than white. And that's when Vince McMahon Sr. happens upon Bob Backlund and says, this is the guy who's going to lead us into the next few years because he's the kind of person that people want to believe in because he really is this all-American whiter than white guy. And it was genuinely he was that kind of person as well like he was legitimately not a drinker not really a drug user he just basically was a very sound athletic morally pure kind of guy hogan represents the sort of uber confident capitalistic 80s of america as well and so he's very very reflective of it and each of those champions those big main champions were kind of very very different from one another they were they were very they were the polar opposite almost to each other the warrior was an attempt by wf to just replace hogan with another hogan that's never worked before that's not worked before in fact look at look at roman reigns i think when they first decided to go with Roman Reigns, the blueprint was, let's have Cena Mark II. It's only worked since he got away from being like John Mm. Cena that it's really started to work. So for me, it's a case of Warrior was too too alike to Hulk Hogan at a time as well when America was going through a a slight change in the way it perceived itself in the world because the Cold War was ending. There was was more humility about America. There was more inward-focused country at the time. The change of pop culture came with the Simpsons and Nirvana and a much less confident and much more inward looking America. The warrior didn't really match that. And not only that, but was exactly the same as Hogan. So those two factors for me were major players against warrior being the next guy. This wasn't a case of them getting to the point where Hogan's business was done. He couldn't really, he wasn't doing the business anymore. So they needed to find a replacement for him who was something different. This was, we, we would love to keep Hogan, but we can't. So let's just recreate him in this warrior character and you look at warrior he basically looks the same he's, he's got the same physique effectively he's a he's a little bit shorter but he's a basically the same height he looks very similar he looks younger looks more exciting he's got the face paint and everything he's basically just hogan mark ii and i think that's one of the big reasons why it didn't work for warrior he was kind of an 80s uh hairband i don't think it smells like Teen spirit was out till 91 but it was oh. an 80s hairband when the, when the, when it, when Nirvana the biggest thing in music was about to be like this grungy yeah kind of slightly depressed and I love Nirvana but slightly depressing sort of sound but that wasn't the big hair and the hairspray was it exactly that's exactly what happened yeah. and, and it was and it, and you put that all together with the step change in politics in the country suddenly in the in the early 90s and all over, over the world because of the end of the Cold War all of that stuff goes hand in hand and as I said I I really do believe that. The best WWF champions, the biggest stars, have been reflective of American society. When Austin became the biggest thing in wrestling, it was at the time of Jerry Springer. It was at the time of a kind of more rebellious in general America. You know, all the, all those kinds of things were starting to, to come out. The Howard Stern show and South Park and a much harder yeah. edge of television was coming out just at the time that Austin came around. That is really the way I see these things. And I, I believe that that's where the best champions come in. And Warrior just wasn't that. Yeah. Fair play to you guys. I literally couldn't have put that Couldn't have said any better. So I'll, I'll leave you to that. The other thing that I think with Warrior as well is they didn't really give him very much, did they? Afterwards. Like he went back to a feud with Rick Rude leading into SummerSlam, which he'd already done. He'd already done his yep. feud with Rick Rude over the course of the previous year. And then kind of didn't really give him another really high profile title. I mean, he would have probably had some defenses on Saturday night's main event, I'm sure. But not really had another pay-per-view title defense until he came to slaughter obviously during this show they are advertising 
the next year's WrestleMania. They're saying it's going to be 100,000 at the Los Angeles Memorial Coliseum. Did they have in mind the rematch already? Oh, I don't think so. I don't know. I don't know. I'm not I'm not sure about that, actually. I'd have, I'd, yeah, I'd have to consult my dear friend and uncle, Mr. Dave Meltzer, for that. <laughs> but um, yeah, I don't, I don't know. I, I'm sure that's floated around, but I... I would it have been a warrior and hogan maybe i don't i don't know know. i'm just wondering they're obviously really confident at this point Mm. they're talking about hundred thousand fans in the los angeles memorial coliseum and i'm like to be that confident what do they think they've got yeah and the only thing i can think of is the rematch was sergeant slaughter was doing it doing that angle by the summer of 90 wasn't he i think think so yeah yeah i don't know don't know I, i don't know though because he seemed to even then he seemed to kind of get drafted into that he was doing this sergeant's foot where iraqi sympathizer thing quite early but it wasn't really geared towards a main event push so i don't know i don't know it's a weird one i just wonder if that's what they were thinking because i just can't think what else they think they've got (laughs) even at this point even in like first of april when this show happens they are saying we're going to get a hundred thousand for this next show yeah so they must think they've got something massive i think maybe it would have been the main event what it would have been the rematch the other thing with warriors title run is you're absolutely right about rick rude but he had this weird thing with randy savage now i know where that was leading but it was like he wouldn't give Savage a title shot. It's like I, I, I remember thinking that was weird, uh, whatever I would have been, 10. So let alone again, thinking about, you know, why is this guy ducking Savage? Like it doesn't it doesn't make any sense at all. Yeah, definitely. Right. Well, I think that's the main event pretty well covered. So I'm pretty glad we got that out of the way to start with. Uh, Stephen, you've given your talking point. Matt, did you have was your talking point around this match as well? It initially was. I, I have a bit of a backup, which um, cool. initially, to be fair, was kind of grasping for straws, but I, I can go with something. Let's do it. Let's grasp, grasp for those straws. <laughs> right. Now, now that we've talked about the positives of this show, I, I almost feel bad because I, I'm just going to be yeah, I, I'm just going to be an angry twat for, for the rest of this show. <laughs> but there's nothing different than, than usual. <laughs> it was just a pile of shit after this match. And do you know what? They, up until this match, they, there was another match, which I was very tempted to call my match of the night, which was the Rockers and the Orient Express, which I was thoroughly enjoying. I thought was a great match. And if you want to do the results and everything, Ben, go for it. Yes. OK, so the Rockers and the Orient Express. This is match 10. Or sorry, I guess it's match nine of the pay per view, but match ten of the overall shoot because there was a dark match, would you believe, on this on this show? Yeah, they didn't have enough matches already. Um, the Orient Express against the the Rockers. It's a seven and a half minute match, and it ends when um Sato throws salt in Marty Jannetty's eyes. And Janetti falls over the guardrail, having been blinded by that salt, and this results in him being counted out. Now then, let's get into the talking point of this match, and it's that finish. <laughs> I knew that was going to be what it was. <laughs> oh, oh, yeah. Like I said, this was a pretty decent match. In fact, it, it was shaping out to be probably one of the best things on the show. And I've literally, and I again, I will read verbatim what I put down in my notes for the finish. In block capital letters, get the Fuck out of here, is that a count out? <laughs> I was absolutely dumbfounded that that's what they did. And not only was it just an awful, terrible finish, but it's one that we've seen on some of these shows multiple times now. And to be fair to you, Ben, I, I know you've kind of given a bit of a, of a reason for them doing it so they, they can run back some of these matches on like the house show loop and things like that. And I understand that, but it still pisses me off. <laughs> It's just not a good enough reason for me to have finishes like this on this show, especially when you've got how how many matches were on this card? Did we say there's 15 if you count the dark match, which we did we haven't seen. So 15. 
guaranteed matches on this card. You know, all these WrestleMania cards up until now have had matches close to that. And it's like, you know, if you're going to do a fuck finish like that, just, just don't bother. Cut the match out. There's no need to do it. And especially one which was shaping up to be pretty good. And is there any reason why they couldn't have just had one team beat the other? They still could have run it back at the house shows. There's no reason why they couldn't have done it. And again, like it's, it was such a shame because it was working out to be really good. I enjoyed, you know, Shawn Michaels was great in it. They were all great in it. But just, I, I can't stand these, you know, we, I, we, there was another counter finish on the show. You know, it wasn't the only egregious one year. You know, there was more than one. There's just no need for it. And we, we have to stop it. And power to the people. <laughs> we must stop. We must stop these finishes. So, Matt, again, I, I feel like I've had to do this a couple of times in the last few weeks. This happened a long time ago. There's no way for us to go back and retrospectively <laughs> stop it. it. It happened. If we wanted to to have that particular campaign, we needed to have it back in 1990. <laughs> if I have access to a time machine, I'm not going back to change this finish. I've got a top probably 50 places up things in my life I'd like to go back to. Uh, and not, none of them is this. Essentially. <laughs> so, yeah. I believe Can't this is it. top of Matt's list. I mean, yeah. <laughs> you'd go back and go, look, no, look, guys, you don't want to count out here. Just have a, have a really tidy little pinfall. Um, you know, I, I actually, though I've given that excuse a number of times, Matt, I, I would tend to agree with you in terms of they don't need, they don't need to do it. And actually, most of the time, I don't think they need to do it. I think just at the time, they were just more conservative about it. That's not to say that they were right to be conservative about it. I just think that they were. I actually like this ending, not necessarily, though, for a WrestleMania match. I thought this was quite a quite an original way to have a count-out finish with Janetti effectively blinded and falling over the guardrail and not being able to get back in the ring. I thought for a count-out finish of a television match, I'm like, you know what? That's that's actually pretty cool. I'm quite happy with that. It wasn't like two two people spill out to the floor, they brawl, they miss, or they forget that the referee's counting and then it, then they both get counted out. This was legitimately, he couldn't get back in the ring. The referee didn't see the soul. He was blinded. He fell over the guardrail and, and he had no way of getting back within 10. So I quite like that, but I agree WrestleMania, we could do without it. I think I have a theory because Gorilla Monsoon said that the Rockers looked lethargic. So I reckon Marty and Sean turned up after a night on Yonge Street in uh, Toronto. My first of a strip club, I whispered it, um, was on, in Yonge Street at WrestleMania 18. Um, spent a lot of money in there. Bought a stripper a subway after that, which was a <laughs> humiliating moment. I'm not quite sure what me and my friend Lewis were expecting to happen uh, after she came with us, but it wasn't that we got her a subway. Yes, uh, where was I? Oh, yes, I suspect Marty and Sean turned up with an absolutely diabolical hangover after a night out in Toronto. And as a result, that's why this awful finish was uh, was booked. So they lost, because I suspect this might be the other way around. Yeah, because they were quite... Um, they were quite um well-known shall we say infamous for yes. their partying and i believe they even got released from the company in sort of 87 after first kind of coming in and then being jumped out because they were like well you know you can't behave yourselves mm. um so well, you're probably right that's probably what happened brass rail tavern gets the best of you gets the best of us in trouble yeah, yeah disappointing then to a good match i thought that's what that was the final note i've got about this one it was it was good it was good and then that finish was disappointing but as i said i, I like the finish as a if you're going to do the count out finishes give me this rather than the rather than the two guys just fall to the outside and forget that the referee's counting it's <laughs> just so lame so let's go to the very start of the show before we have uh, our break we've got a little bit more time i think in this first half to go we go right to the start of the show vince 
his voiceover as he talks about the stars and the horoscopes and Hogan and Warriors constellations in the sky. Quite interesting way to go. We've got 65,000 strong at the Sky Dome, apparently. And Gorilla Monsoon and Jesse Ventura are our commentators for the last WrestleMania together. As uh, Jesse Ventura would leave the company later in the year. Disappointing, obviously, because they were a great duo, as we found over the over the course of the series so far. I thought Jesse was so good on this show, and I've got some of his his uh, his one-liners throughout this. But and Jesse's my my MVP of the night. Actually, he was just phenomenal. I wonder if he knew he was going at this point and just thought, oh, "I'm letting loose tonight." But yeah, I, I don't know. It was a little bit later, wasn't it? Yeah, well, it, well, it wasn't that far down the line, I suppose. And and I think he, I I wouldn't be surprised because there were some things on this show that he did that were for me not quite as characteristic of him. Mm. Like he was more argumentative than he had been in previous years. Yeah, he Gorilla. got good at one point, didn't he? Yeah. Yeah, and yeah. He, and and that wasn't his style. He he knew right. when to back off usually and let it, and and because because obviously he just he doesn't want to make the whole thing about him and Gorilla. Mm. But on this they did take it a little bit further at times, and I think maybe you're right. Maybe he did know he was going because he was, and so he's like, oh, I just saw it. I'm just gonna do what I want. I didn't like him on this show. I've got to be honest, and I've actually felt the pair of them have been great right up until now. But yeah, there was a couple of particular one-liners in there. There was some stuff that he said about Sapphire later on, and that just didn't quite sit right with me. So yeah, not a fan. I, oh, I, I can't I, remember that, so I wonder if I put that in my notes. But yeah, maybe I, I conveniently didn't hear that. I don't know what's happening, but I actually think I agree with Matt again. I didn't really? like well, him as okay. much on this show as I have previous shows. Like Oof. I did genuinely think he was a little bit. I don't know. He just uh, went a little bit far a couple of times, okay. to be honest. And also, as I said, now. oh no, but also as I said, I felt like he was more argumentative, which I think is a negative thing. I think mm. that when he argues with Gorilla, but then lets Gorilla win, that's what he should do. And I didn't think he did that as much on this show. I felt, felt like he went a bit more JBL, if you like, than he yeah. should have done. Can I throw something else out, which is an interesting factoid about this WrestleMania? This is the first WrestleMania ever to be shown live in the UK. And there was even a Sky-promoted fancy dress party at the Camden Palace, which included a showing of No Holds Barred beforehand. <laughs> wow. And tickets ah. were available. The, the, ad, the Sky advert oh, was, said, tickets were available on the door, dude. Yeah, and it was a 9pm start time in the UK. A 9pm WrestleMania start time in the UK. The absolute stuff that dreams are made of. And the next WrestleMania to be shown live in the UK was WrestleMania 8. And the first one I said up for was WrestleMania 9. So WrestleMania 7 we didn't get, which I'm pretty sure was because by then Sky Sports was a thing. And I think that they were showing, I think they were showing cricket or something like that live and couldn't show WrestleMania live, I believe. I could be wrong about that. Who cares about cricket? Anyway. <laughs> that's um, why they didn't show WrestleMania 10, uh, Ben. This, that, that's the reason they didn't show WrestleMania 10 live, because I only had one sports channel and they were showing something like that at the time, I think it was. It's a fucking disgrace. I mean, who yeah. wants to see? It's probably like away at like West Indies versus fucking England or something. I think it was like, West Indies versus England, actually. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Bullshit. <laughs> so Jesse also was looking a little smaller than usual, I thought. I felt, I felt like he'd um, let, let let some air out of his muscles mm. on this one. I don't know. Anyway, then we get Howard Finkel introduced Robert Goulet to sing Oh Canada with footage of Canada over the top, mainly focusing on the natural beauty of the country. Um, this was interesting mainly for the fact that um, Jesse Ventura had mentioned Robert Goulet in relation to Gene Oakland when Oakland sang the national anthem at WrestleMania 1. And Old Man brought it up 
as a as a, something we talked about when we did WrestleMania one, and we played his version of Something's Got to Give at the end of the WrestleMania one show. I didn't even know that he'd done this when I put that in there, so that was a nice little tie into our first WrestleMania uh, review. Any thoughts on the uh, the rendition of Ocala? We can't really rank this against all the American the Beautifuls because obviously it's a different song, but you know, I thought it was a bit bland. <laughs> I mean, it was it was all right. I mean, I, I literally did I did write down. I, it seemed a little bit bland to me. I was like, mm, okay, not not the best version of a national anthem that I've heard. Yeah, I loved it. I loved it. It brought me back memories of that that trip twenty years ago, uh, and when I was a whippersnapper rather than an aging old wrestling fan that hates pretty much everything I watch. So um, yeah, <laughs> lovely. <laughs> then I noticed at this point that there were two signs in the front row, only in Canada, and then the second one next to it. A. That's what it said. Ah. So it's only in Canada, and then a second sign next to it. A. Brilliant. <laughs> Ventura says that Goulet reminds him of Axel Rose. Monsoon says he's never heard of him, and Ventura says from Guns N' Roses. Monsoon responds, "Oh, that Axel," as if he really knows <laughs> anything about what's going on. Um, the wrestlers, as a, as we said earlier on, are then brought to the ring again by the mini rings, which, as you said, Matt, it's great, isn't it? It's great. Love it. Love that. They they need to do that today. I, I was thinking of like guys coming to the ring in that today. It'd be great. As I said to you, it would be when we discussed this before, it'd be great because it would cut out all the stupid over the top melodramatic entrances we get from people like Triple H. So that would be perfect. <laughs> so then we get match number one, which is Coco Beware versus the model Rick Martel, a match that goes for just under four minutes and ends when Coco misses a crossbody and Martel applies a Boston Crab for the submission victory. Matt, your thoughts on this one? This was a good little opener, um, to be fair to them. I, I can't say that, that I was massively expecting that much, especially of a, of Coco Beware, but he, he actually surprised me a, a little bit. He was a lot more sort of athletic than I was actually expecting. He, he did some, you know, quite a good couple of uh, sort of drop kicks early on. It was a cross body in there, and it was quite a sort of fast-paced start, so I did quite enjoy it. I was also quite surprised by the amount of heat that Rick Martel was getting. Um, he, you know, he managed to get a nice standing vertical suplex in there. Really cool-looking backbreaker. I like the fact that he used the Boston Crab. I thought that was good. I, I was a bit surprised that um, the Coco didn't get the finish. I thought um, that would probably would have been a sort of better way to start the show, but um, it was good. It was a good little match. Good start to the show, to be fair. Rick's music was really lovely. I can imagine if you were an insomniac, that would really help, or perhaps in a relaxing bath. Now, if you had to choose some relaxing bath music, which one would you choose? Which who would you choose? I have been partial to Westlife's Greatest Hits in in, uh, in my past in the bath. <laughs> what would you like, Ben, in the bath? What do you what? listen to in the bath? Do you have baths? No, I was going to say I haven't had a bath since I was probably about six. So I, I I don't think I don't think I can think of anything. I don't even know what's appropriate, if you know what I mean. Like I just I don't. It's just a waste of time for me. Baths. I'm not interested. I, 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 the shower takes about five minutes. The bath would take about half an hour. Like why would I? Why would I do that? No. It's no. Rela- It's more relaxing than it is washing. I'd say. Yeah, I think if I was going for relaxing, I probably wouldn't have music. Okay, Matthew. So you know, I, I love a good bath. Oh God, I, having to reveal my bath song. Oh, Jesus, I'm going to get so much shit for this. I can't even believe I'm actually admitting to this as well. But a song that I do find quite relaxing is, I don't know if anybody remembers the X Factor runner-up band JLS. Yes, of course. <laughs> they, they released a song called One Shot, which I find very soothing. 
I don't think I know. Maybe I do know that. I'd have to. I'll have to. I'll have to Google that. Yeah, that's all right. That's not any worse than Westlife, is it? That's, that's I, better. I than, that's know. better. No, that's better than Westlife. Yeah. Better. <laughs> I mean, I mean, I think, I think, I think, Matt, what you need to do is you just need to be a bit more comfortable in yourself. That, that you just need to be. You know, it was something that stuck out out to me the other day when you the other week when you were talking about demolition, and it was, and you were talking about oh how your dad would react if he saw you watch. Oh. I was like, who gives a fuck what your dad would think? It's time, it's time to <laughs> let that go, mate. You're 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 in your thirties now. You just feel like, Dad, I don't care what you think. You're wrong. It's like, better it's... than him walking in on you watching Bukaki or something, isn't it, Matthew? So I don't Matthew. I don't, I don't know, know why I went all parental then. Yeah. <laughs> Is it? I don't know. <laughs> I mean, put it this way. So, you know, I, I don't care. In a sense, I don't care because you know, if my dad had his way, my God, I, I would have stopped watching wrestling donkeys years ago. He hates it. But yeah, just just. I don't know what it is. Demolition in particular. Like, oh, no, they just... Everybody, everybody's dad hates it. That's the thing. You, you just have to kind of rebel against it and just keep no, going. Not, not as much as mine, I tell you that. <laughs> I don't I don't know. Um, the, the, the other thing is I don't really listen to music to relax to. Hmm. That's the other thing. I, I realised I don't actually do that. I was really trying to think while she were talking, and I'm like, yeah, I don't. There's not a lot of relaxing music for me. Like, because I listen to so much music, probably too relaxed, I stop. Okay, <laughs> so interesting. Stop listening to it. If you see what I mean. So is that more? Know. You listen to music with a kind of critical ear? Uh, no, not know? really. I no? just I don't. There are other emotions that I get from music. Hmm. You know, maybe excitement or just fun or just. You know, I remember, like, for example, I remember when I was very specific memory. I don't know why this came to mind. But about 15 years ago, I was hungover. I was walking down to the, the station. It takes about 25 minutes from my parents' house to walk down to the station in Bristol. And I had Smokey Robinson and the Miracles Greatest Hits on. Just perfect. Just a perfect moment. Mm. The, it wasn't a really hot day. It was a spring day. It was kind of like maybe 18 degrees. Nice little breeze. So it was warm, but not not hot. And I had a hangover, as I said. So it's kind of kind of... In the good part of the hangover, there, where you're kind of like, you're kind of just chilling, you're just sort of like, you know, you're tired, but you're you're, you're okay with it, you're you're yeah. all right with it, and you've got, and I had Smoking Robinson and the Miracles in my in my head, and I was like, this is just this is just magnificent, this is a great <laughs> moment, and I, it's really odd, I can't remember why I was going to the station now, to be honest. So that kind of thing, I don't have, it's not really, yeah, it's not really a a relaxing thing for me though. Hmm. In terms of going back to this match, uh, Koga hit a drop kick in this early. It reminded me of a classic Mid South moment when he basically murdered Gustavo Mendoza with one right to the jaw, which rocked his head back almost like it decapitated the poor guy. Uh, I'll try and find that clip and tweet it out when the show comes out. Uh, and I actually really like this. About as good as a four minute match you can get. Um, and the heel got a clean as a whistle win, which I always am fond of. So I thought it was an enjoyable start. Well, yeah, I mean, this was about Martel, right? This was about yeah. pushing him. It wasn't about anything else. There wasn't really a, a feud, I don't believe, going on between the two of them. And it was entirely about Rick Martel's a newly, I mean, I say newly, about a year ago, because we saw it in WrestleMania 5, his turn against Tito. But WrestleMania, uh, Rick Martel's a, a heel. We got some plans for him. We need him to get a decent victory, a clean victory, and he got it by submission. There's something that in my mind old school thinking was that as a babyface you couldn't get submission victories because it was a heel thing to do to get a submission hmm, victory don't I, don't, I don't know if i'm making that up but and it certainly isn't so old school that because obviously bret hart got submission from most of his opponents but i'm talking about like 80s and going back into the 70s it was kind of considered a far as i can tell a kind of heel thing to do to get submission victories interesting get many submissions in the wwf that i can remember in the 80s i don't think on pay-per-view that i can and that would and that would make sense because if it was a heel thing, the heel yeah. never got clean victories. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, it would make sense if you didn't see many of them. 
So then after this, we go backstage. Gene Oakland's with the Colossal Connection, though he calls them the Colostomy Connection. Very nice there, Gene. It almost goes past Hayden Heenan because he says it so quickly and then almost goes, hang on, wait a minute, what did you just say? Um, uh, He says that Demolition are going to be eliminated in their match later on. Amazing. Then we get Sean Mooney with Demolition. Axe says that he can cut the biggest oak tree down, even seven foot tall. Says just before he does that, he'll shout, Timber! Mooney says that this is starting to sound like a demolition derby. Smash says that the only thing that will be left will be the metal for them to forge into new title belts. Disappointingly, there were no new title belts made after this match. And must have damaged their vocal cords with their style of speaking as well. I can tell Matt's already shaking his head. He's not happy with this. Doesn't like demolition. I really, I really don't. Just, yeah, just, they're just really goofy. Just not for me. So that match is next. It's the Colossal Connection versus Demolition for the tag team titles. Um, It goes for nine and a half minutes. It ends when Andre holds Smash for Haku, but Haku goes for his thrust kick and hits Andre accidentally. Andre then gets tied up in the ropes. Demolition get hold of Haku, hit their finisher, and they win the tag titles. After the match, Heenan is angry with Andre and starts shouting at him. He then slaps him. And Andre gets Heenan by the collar and then gives him a good slap himself. Um, kicks him out of the ring. Haku then goes for a thrust kick on Andre, but Andre catches him and beats him up and kicks him out of the ring as well. This basically cements his baby face turn as he is pretty much now not really able to do anything. So they've decided we've got to we've got to get him out of the ring, but but do so in in the right terms, which is to make him a baby face again. Stephen, what did you make of this whole thing? Um, I thought it was weird that Andre and Haku were in the ring for the announcements. Um, and also what is weird is the demolition story arc in WWF is really strange because they were massively over as babyface, I thought. It got huge reactions here. Then they turned prior to SummerSlam. And I, I'm guessing that they knew that Axe was kind of on the way out and they were going to bring Crush in. But it is strange. It is strange that they decided to you know, move away from demolition and, and onto the, well, I'm, I'm, thought, I'm happy they moved on to Bret Hart. I thought this was watchable. Crowd reacted big to everything. Um, and the babyface turn at the end was really good. You could hear Heenan shouting, I'm the fucking boss at Andre uh, before <laughs> he um, before Andre turned. Um, the only thing that was a bit uh, iffy was, I'm sure Andre was trying to protect him, but the first two slaps missed by about a foot, which was you know a bit embarrassing. In terms of Andre, at least he got a, like a really good send off here. Uh, but I'm sure this this was a horrendous moment for him. Um, in terms of wrestling books, go and read the Pat Laprod and Bertrand Herbert um, Herbert might be Herbert if it's uh, from Montreal biography on Andre because it's, it's one of the best wrestling books I've ever read. And um, while this was Andre's last WWF pay per view match. Um, he had 105 matches in his career after this. Uh, most of those were in all Japan, but he did try a brief comeback in the WWF in 1991. I actually found out the other day that he was supposed to be in the 91 Royal Rumble, but he was and he was announced for it and then had to pull out. But 105 matches after this, I think pretty much all of them were multi-man tags. I think there was a singles match with someone in there. But yeah, it's a pretty scary thought and very sad that you know he's only around for what another less than three years at this point. Yeah. Yeah, this, to be honest, the fact that he had a hundred, you should have had one match after this. Because mm-hmm. if anything, for me, that that was probably the most noticeable thing. And this is that you know Haku was pretty much doing the, the majority of the work for for, for that their team. What I, I just thought he was really sad. Like, and I got like at one point Andre hit some form of kick on Smash, and he was just it was so it was pathetically bad. You know, I mean, okay, he's a big guy, so he's probably, you know, probably trying to pull her a little bit as well. But it, it just looked awful. It, it felt like, like I said, it felt like a handicap match to me because Andre could barely get in there. 
you know, is is being tied in the ropes. I mean, it's got to a point where I, I think I've seen enough matches of his now to, to know his, you know, the certain spots that he does. And the, the, the being tied in the ropes thing, for me, it just feels like I've seen it once too, you know, one too many times now. And it's, you know, it's like, how can you keep, you know, sort of falling for that type thing? So, no, I'd, you know, the, the crowd were definitely for Demolition and they were definitely well behind them. And, you know, they were all for, you know, the, the tag title win. So that was cool. So it was great to see the crowd get involved. And it was good to see Andre sort of, you know, get his, you know, revenge on, you know, Bobby post-match. So that was cool. But yeah, th- this match was a bit, bit, you know, not for me, to be honest, but a uh, bit too long. Big guys quite plodding. Not the best. It was all right. It was it was fine. And that was mainly because Andre didn't really get involved in the match. Haku was carried the whole thing for his team. Demolition was super over. So when uh, I think it's Smash makes the hot tag, it is a humongous pop when he comes in. And Stephen, you talked about a minute ago. I don't understand why they then decided to make him make them heels. They obviously wanted the belts to go back over to the Heart Foundation and decided that the only way to do it was to have Demolition drop it to them as heels. But I don't, yeah, I don't really know why because they were super over. And um, there were, I remember reading about the whole the reason why he. Um, stop, like axe, sorry, stopped kind of wrestling so often. It was something to do with shellfish. So he had an allergic reaction to selfish, shellfish or something, and he had a heart problem as a yeah. consequence, and so couldn't couldn't wrestle as often. And then they brought in Crush, and then they had a falling out. Axe and WWF had a falling out to the point where Axe and Smash, despite what you think of them, Matt, should absolutely be in the Hall of Fame and are not. And I think maybe because of that, might be interesting to see if they get their day in the sun now that Vince is out of the picture. Mm. Who knows? Yeah. So I think what we'll do there is we'll take a break. We are a couple of matches into the show. Um, we'll come back with all of the rest of the stuff. And despite what Matt says, stick with us. There's plenty for us to talk about. The quality might not be high in terms of the matches, but the quality will always be high with the three of us. We'll see you in a moment. Hulk Hogan, the greatest World Wrestling Federation champion of all time. Here we are at WrestleMania 6. The waiting's over. Here comes the ultimate challenge. You know something, Mean Gene? You don't have to remind me and my Hulkamaniacs that at Sky Dome, we're going to face the ultimate challenge, brother. When we crossed the border from the United States of America to Canada, I was hovering over Sky Dome, brother. I saw what was beneath me, man. I saw the greatest arena of all times where the ultimate challenge will take place. And as we landed, brother... Nothing but stark raving Hulkamaniacs were there to greet me at the airport. Nothing but positive vibes, man. Hulkamania is running wild like it's never ran before. But the ultimate warrior, you must realize that when you step in the Sky Dome, when you feel the energy that's going to run wild throughout the arena, those are my people. That's my energy, brother. An ultimate warrior. This is where the power lies, man. In the power of the Hulkster, the largest arms in the world. And once I get you down on your knees, ultimate warrior, I'm going to ask you one question, brother. I'm going to ask you, do you want to live forever? And if your answer is yes, ultimate warrior, then breathe your last breath into my body. I can save you. My Hulkamaniacs can save you. We can turn the darkness that you live in into the light. We can save all your little warriors with the training, the prayers, and the vitamins. But I got to prove one thing to all my Hulkamaniacs out there. It's not whether you win or whether you lose. The only thing that matters is what kind of winner you are or what kind of loser you are. And Ultimate Warrior, I sure hope you're a good loser, brother. What you gonna do at Sky Dome when the largest arms in the world and Hulkamania 
destroys you. All right, the time is now, Holster. Thank you. Standing by, Sean Mooney. Okay, welcome back. So we have got the rest of the show to cover. Let's go straight into it, shall we? Let's not muck around. After the tag team title match, we have Gene Oakland with Earthquake and Jimmy Hart. Hart says that every scientist in the world are predicting an earthquake and the center will be in Toronto tonight. Earthquake then cuts an earthquake-based promo on Hercules. He was very sweaty here. Was it water or was it certain percentage sweat, certain percentage water? I'm not sure. But either way, it was not a great visual, really. Wet earthquake. Matt, Matt shaking his head again. Not not for him, I'm, I'm assuming. <laughs> this promo sucked. It's just the, like, the I, I don't know if it's the Vince McMahon way of, of how he sees wrestlers and wrestling. And, you know, it's like the he sees the character first as opposed to, like, a wrestler. And I just think, you know, wrestlers wrestle. Shock horror. <laughs> you know, they're not actors and i i think that's how vince perhaps might have seen them is that you are an actor you will play this part or you will be this part and that's why this type of shitty promo comes out and he just doesn't feel authentic at all because he's not an actor what he does is it well, you could say he is what he does in the ring but at least with this promo i was like ah no just bin it i think earthquake delivers this with a certain amount of uh what's the word i'm looking for credibility i think he does it well i think he uh I think he lives up to his own moniker's earthquake. I mean, obviously, they've gone a little bit too far with the whole earthquake analogy in general. <laughs> but, um, you know, for a guy who's playing a character, which is an earthquake, I think he does it quite well, to be honest. <laughs> so next up, and I should apologize right now because my cold is really starting to kick in. So I'm struggling to speak as well, having had a little bit of a break. It's Earthquake versus Hercules. It's a match that goes just under five minutes. And the match ends when Earthquake hits his earthquake splash for the win. After the match, Earthquake hits another couple of splashes as well ventura comments that this is the aftershock steven your thoughts on this one so i i, I mentioned earlier on i started watching just after this and it was very much in uh, the hulk hogan angle had happened it was very much the right in uh, and give hogan your prayers and good wishes so the earthquake finish is still devastating for me and this was, it really was onwards and upwards for him for like the, the most high profile run of his career after this i thought this is the weakest thing on the show um, albeit the crowd did somehow get into hercules on offense and it wasn't too bad uh, and for Hercules, things were on the up as well because he's about to get Paul Roma as a wingman. So I'd say that was an upward step from a baby face with kind of powder blue pants on. So, yeah, good luck to him. <laughs> this was fucking dreadful. <laughs> <laughs> this was so bad. It was far and away the worst thing on the show. I mean, I'm going to try and pick some nice little gems out of it, which... I managed to find on commentary, to be fair. I mean, one thing that I was amazed by to start with is apparently at this time, Earthquake was undefeated. How and why? Okay, whatever. I thought that was interesting. But not only that, he sent 28 men to the hospital. I was like, that's a very specific number of people who he supposedly sent to the hospital. Interesting fact, why not? But yeah, then we actually get the match itself. And I tell you what, those, <laughs> you call them splashes. <laughs> oh my god! No, I, I didn't. I didn't call them splashes. The WWE ah, did. True. Okay. They, they, yes, they did call, call them splashes. I mean, okay. Again, I know there's probably an element of he's really trying to, you know, protect his opponent, uh, trying to protect his opponent as well. But my god, were they awful! And it's just one of those things that just sticks out like a sore thumb. It just immediately takes me out and think that's not real. That's shit. <laughs> 
And then not only that, but he hit it again post-match, which I was like, okay, great. And even better, they decided to replay it. So I thought, not only did you do wrong twice, but you decided to show us how shit it was in a replay. So, well done. Yeah, this is this is a, another match similar to the opener, where they're just trying to get Earthquake over it. That's it. Like, Earthquake is due for a summer programme, an autumn programme with Hogan. So they're trying to make sure that he's able to have that summer program and have the big match at SummerSlam with Hogan and they've got to do it somehow so this is how they've done it I think John Tenter did the best he could with the things he was given not just not just the not just the gimmicks but the look that he had the god-given things that he was given if you see what I mean you know he he wasn't an athlete he wasn't a good-looking man he was I think (laughs) like something like 24 or 5 at this point he's already bald he looks about 50 it's ridiculous And and he was then given the earthquake gimmick and the shark gimmick, Golga, and, you know, various other bits and pieces of rubbish. And with all that, I think he was a pretty decent promo. He wasn't a terrible wrestler, not in the way some certain people were at this time. And I, I think he did his absolute best with very little that he was given, to be perfectly honest. I'm sure he's a nice guy and everything. And I'm sure he did, but just he's just not a very good wrestler. <laughs> he's not. A, I don't think he's a bad one. I, do, I just think that maybe the move in particular is the big problem you're having with him that the end move because i think the rest of what he did was actually pretty decent especially for a big i mean he's better than one man gang who's also on the show he's way better than the tag team party would later get which is typhoon way way better so i, I think he's decent he's decent he just didn't have a lot going for him in the first place mm. next we get elizabeth in a strange sit-down interview with a person called rona barrett she's apparently a gossip columnist of the time she tells liz that she is stunning compared to some of the big hollywood stars of the day and the people that she's interviewed in the past liz says that she's not been around because she doesn't want to disappoint her fans but she says that she's thought a lot about returning to ringside very strange this was it was and i really creepy the way rona kept going on about liz's beauty and i do realize that that must be the that might be the most pot and kettle moment in the history of podcasting because sometimes when i've heard myself talking about elizabeth i realized that the creep factor has turned up to 100 (laughs) but yes it was very odd in fairness to you Stephen, wwf didn't really give you anything else to talk about when it came to elizabeth did they because she didn't do anything else no, she no, just stood true. there and looked attractive that's it and a bit sad sometimes this is yeah. why i've never understood elizabeth I, i've never got it i mean yeah i mean <laughs> do you watch have you seen the rocky films uh yes hey, it's adrian isn't it um is adrian considered attractive <laughs> Are you joking? I, is she? <laughs> Not to my personal taste, I'll be honest with you. She's a big nose brunette, mate. Come on. <laughs> I mean, I, I, don't, I don't know. Um, I yeah. think Adrian, yeah, I think that, I, th- I know what you mean. It's a bit like the kind of, kind of, trying to think of the film, like, oh, I can't even remember, Girl Next Door type thing. I think, yeah, they probably under, underdid her. Underdid her? Crikey, that's... <laughs> Let me just let me choose my word. I shouldn't be talking about Adrian like that. Um, but you know what I mean? I think, yeah, yeah. Anyway, let's move on. If I dig myself a bigger, creepy hole. Going back to Elizabeth, I think the thing was that it was a simpler time and women mm. didn't have much of a role in wrestling at the time. The only role they had, in fairness, the, the women's wrestlers in the main tended to be older, certainly in the WWF. And they, I guess this was just more of the sort of sexism and misogyny of the time, tended to perhaps not flatter them, the women, where they, I guess they were kind of like, well, if you're a wrestler, you must be quite must not have any beauty i guess is is, mm. is is kind of the way they treated them a little maybe a little bit less when wendy richter was around but in the main they weren't really given that kind of they, they were they, they you could either be a, a, a brutish woman 
or attractive. He couldn't be both. And because there was not a general role for women in wrestling, Elizabeth being a manager in particular stood out and was really different. And also there was this purity of her. They built this kind of aura around her, around the idea that she was kind of innocent compared to everything else that was going on around her, which I think is is quite, it's not particularly um, savoury thing in general, but I think actually it worked a treat through these years because people genuinely cared for her because they saw her as this kind of naive, innocent kind of person that was there and was kind of being almost corrupted but almost was impervious to that corruption if you like by the, the men in her life is i don't know it's a it's a, it's a it's a difficult one and it's a strange one and i don't think it's something we'll you, you you could see now because it's a much more you know women are given much more scope for performance and whatnot whereas at the, at the time as i say that you couldn't really be more than one thing at once mm. then we get sean mooney with brutes beefcake where they're looking at a piece of paper which apparently represents mr perfect's win-loss record and he says beef kick says that is a good record it's an impressive record but nobody is perfect i just have to say what on earth was going on with beefcake's hair here a barber by trade this was a look of a bloke who thought he could get one more big event out of his haircut we've all been there night out <laughs> wedding whatever it is and then you see the photos and you think what on earth is that on my head? And he he had that. This is WrestleMania, and he didn't go and get this thing sorted out. An absolute disgrace. <laughs> I am very guilty of that, mainly because I, <laughs> I I have a I, not a phobia such, but I hate going to the barbers. I hate it. Like I hate the experience. I hate looking at yourself in a mirror for 10, 15 minutes. I hate the manufactured conversation you need oh. to come up with it. To the point, I hate it so much that I actively avoid going, and I probably end up going maybe twice a year in the end because I just don't want it. To, don't want to ever go so my hair goes from very very short through to extremely long over the course of six months and then i just go to my go go my haircut and then i'm done but yeah i hate it so i would be brutus beefcake in this situation i think although i'm sure beefcake could just got one of his mates and do it you know one of his one of the peers uh, you should do it himself with the right mirror setup well, did you go shaved head during the pandemic no no my wife wouldn't let me do that she okay she she wouldn't like that but i have many times considered going shaved head mm. um i used to do it quite a lot when i was younger because i just like the feeling of the being refreshed i mean completely. i did and it took me from a like a probably like a, a four out of ten on a decent day to maybe like a two and a half out of ten but i did quite like it i did quite like it you wake up in the morning it's like i look like a balding egg but i don't care wash it whatever you don't have to do anything you just literally get on with your day but yeah i wish if i had a slightly steadier hairline i put i might go for that like you have got max you look good with with it but i i don't really so yeah apparently, apparently works for me so yeah it does work yeah, yeah. i like it I'll, I'll be doing it again <laughs> there we get uh the genius announcing mr perfect to the ring and our next match which is mr perfect versus bruce the barber beefcake it is a seven nearly eight minute match and this one ends when beefcake it's a slingshot on perfect after a number of uh bits of offense from perfect beefcake comes back with the slingshot and perfect's head hits the ring post and beefcake then pins him but hmm it almost felt like a one match or one match or one man performance in the way of um mr perfect kind of carried it just bumping all over the place and this is one of those where i've always heard about how mr perfect's good for for doing that you know just being this crazy bump machine and i think this match was quite representative of that i do think it could have toned it down just a little bit it was just a little bit too much for my taste and to the point of it came off a little bit phony but he did you know he did take a good couple of crazy bumps to to really help brutus get over the 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 finish i'm of two minds though because i do 
sometimes like the the kind of finish that kind of comes out of nowhere because sometimes it can come come across as a bit realistic but i don't know this one it, it felt a little bit weak to me and i've said it on the podcast many times and i will continue to say it and i'm sure you know what's coming is as long as i keep reviewing brutus the barber beefcake he will forever be a heel to me because cutting somebody's hair after a match is a dick move so as soon as he started at, at the end i was like you know what I don't like him. He's just a dick. You shouldn't cut someone's hair. <laughs> Beyond the pale. It is. You should just. It's a dick movie. He's the ultimate heel. I, I agree. I agree. I thought Gorilla and Jesse were on good form in this. Though Gorilla said um, he liked Bruce's outfit because it was like a hand grenade had gone off in his pocket. Now, Gorilla, I hate to burst your bubble, but the reality of that would be an altogether different and far more sombre look. Jesse slagged off Gorilla's son's counting ability. Gorilla's son's obviously the referee. And they had a lovely exchange about whether the momentum had gone 360 degrees, which Jesse explained would be back to the same place. Then Jesse later had a go at Perfect's dad and said, after Gorilla protested about the phrase old man being used, he said he was an old man and he can't do anything about it phenomenal stuff from jesse i don't know he didn't like this this is so good i thought jesse was great here and i had no memory of this finish like perfect throwing himself around the back and forth the commentary i actually enjoyed this uh, the only thing i didn't enjoy though was the genius running away from bruce's beefcake waddling down that aisle almost like he wanted to feel the sharpness of beefcake's blade on his hair one more time which is possibly a very niche fetish and if so fair play <laughs> Oh God! I just wish there was no Pete Bruce Beefcake matches. I just, I just can't stand him. I just think he's rubbish. He's absolutely terrible. I don't really care about the gimmick. I just don't. I just think he's rubbish. I think he's really bad. The commentary I didn't dislike necessarily, Stephen. I just didn't think it was. I didn't like dislike it now. But I yeah, think yeah. if I'm watching from the perspective of a fan, there were just bits of it where I just felt it didn't really work for the company. It was him going into business for himself yeah, in a funny was, way. It but, was that. But yeah, yeah. So that that's where I kind of had the problem with it. Yeah, just just not interested at all. It's Bruce Beefcake. He's rubbish. The match was not very good. So they're talking at the start of the match about but Monsoon and Ventura talking at the start of, ma- start of the match about Ventura's style. Mm. And Ventura says, I've got the eyes of Paul Newman. I've got the whatever of so-and-so. And I've got this of the other. And Griller turned around and says, what do you have of your own, Jess? Yeah. <laughs> Great. That was so good. good. That was good stuff. And we saw Mary Tyler Moore as well in the front row of the mm. uh, crowd as well during this one. There's some afters with Beefcake Jason after Perfect and the Genius. Uh, the question I wanted to ask is what? Why? Why did Perfect have the Genius and the Coach at one point as well as his manager? Like, what was that all about? Like, not Jonathan Coach and Matt, somebody else. That, that's what I thought you meant there. <laughs> the guy called the Coach. What was going on with Perfect? I didn't really get why he had these strange out there managers. I think he. It was because he. He was small and they wanted someone to cheat on his behalf. But they could have just had a manager, surely. Uh, yeah, I don't know why they picked him with Genius. But then he went to Heenan after Genius, didn't yeah. he? So, yeah, I don't, I, don't, I don't know when that changed. He was certainly Heenan by the time he lost to Kerry Von Erich at SummerSlam 90. So that, 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 that transition was coming, but I was not sure quite when. Yeah, I just wondered why why they had him with these these strange niche managers rather than just one of the the ordinary managers can i go back to something actually just I've yeah. just just popped into my mind the other thing that would have really annoyed me about the ultimate warrior after wrestlemania <laughs> was the fact he didn't keep hold of the intercontinental title so i think that is another you know small piece of the pie 
but you've been you've been promised champion for champion title versus title then he immediately got it taken away from him on in some rubbish thing on superstars and then it was a tournament and then perfect was a champion i understand why they did that for the house shows and all that sort of stuff but i also think you haven't really given your paying customers what and i know what it'd been like like that'd have been like a oh wow like possibility of having two belts we've never no one had ever seen that in wf before so i think that's just another little thing they got wrong i think they should have had him as dual champion for some period of time yeah i think that would make sense and then maybe of six months in gone like you're not really fulfilling your commitments as the intercontinental champion we're going to strip you of it yeah yeah exactly also this makes a mockery of this booking why is perfect losing this match he's going to be the intercontinental champion very soon and it's what i said again a couple of weeks ago why do they always protect beefcake like why is he got like it must be something to do with you know his relationship and i put that in inverted commas with hogan they were supposed to do beefcake and perfect at SummerSlam, which i think perfect would have won and kept the title so i think that may may be something to do with this here and that would presumably not happen because of his parasailing accident exactly yeah and that's why uh, kerry bonner came in and won because they they used to do that if someone was advertised and didn't didn't come in that they you know they probably um, still do it. Title. They probably would. Yeah, yeah. So then we, uh, then we get Steve Allen. I didn't know who he was at the time when we first got this uh, little bit. We got Steve Allen in the shower with a piano, <laughs> <laughs> alongside <laughs> alongside Nikolai Volkov and Boris Zukov, the Bolsheviks, and uh, they instruct him that they want him to play the Russian national anthem. He keeps playing other songs instead of the Russian national anthem. They get angry. Uh, then somebody um, flushes the toilet, and Steve Allen makes his exit. This was. <laughs> bizarre but i gotta say steve allen was very close to being my mvp of this night because i bloody loved him i thought he was absolutely hilarious all the way through this it was so good did you notice the great the really great in cut after the end of perfect and bk because that's where roddy piper and bad news brown was in in the in the running order of the show ah. uh, yeah there's a really odd cut and i think you, had, you got you got the whole match gone and and I'm pretty sure Roddy pro- backstage promo and a Bad News Brown promo. So that's where it, you know, where it happened, basically. But I'm yeah, so, the, the Allen stuff was so good. I'm so glad you said that because I would have completely missed it because i got to be honest, I thought, oh, it must have been at WrestleMania 7. And we've covered WrestleMania 7 and mm. I obviously had forgotten that, that it wasn't as part of that. And I just thought, oh, I must have been part of WrestleMania 7 because I just could have swore Roddy Piper and Bad News Brown was at this one. And I wouldn't have thought any more about it until you said that. So I'm very glad that you said about that. But have you seen that match? No, I, I thought, I watched the wrong show because <laughs> <laughs> I went back to check, you know, check the results and everything, made sure I watched it all. And I was like, hang on. I was like, no, don't tell me I missed it. I watched the wrong thing. I was like, oh, right. Okay. And I, no, I've never seen it. It's a, it's a, it's interesting that they've, they've chosen to cut out. I mean, it makes sense. It's not at all politically correct or quite frankly, at all right. <laughs> Probably even at the time, to be honest, though, there are, I would say throughout the show, a couple of dodgy moments about uh, with regards to race in general. And that is probably the most overtly dodgy of them all. Mm. Um, I'm not really sure even what Piper was trying to do out of it. If he do completely blackfaced, obviously it would have been as bad, but would have made sense is not quite the thing I'm trying to look for. But you know what I mean? Like there would have been there would have been a message there, even if it was a horrible message. Whereas half doing it just made it even it just is perplexing. Yeah. They lose Piper. No, ends in a ca- ends in a double count now. Double count out, yeah. For fuck's sake. <laughs> <laughs> yes, because that was the worst thing about that match, Matt. <laughs> no, neither of those two were doing a job, were they? So yeah. No. Well, I was thinking. I mean, again, not that it's remotely right, but I just think at, at least if he lost, that's something. 
thing. Well, he was the babyface though, so whether he'd lost or won, it wouldn't. He still wouldn't make up for it. You, you, right. You're portraying a certain message there. You know, yeah, you're not, you're not saying you're not saying oh he's he's got his comeuppance because he's the babyface. So you're saying, yeah, I, I assumed he was the heel to be fair. So yeah, that that is rather fucked up. Bad News Brown could not be a babyface, Matt. Come on, we've discussed <laughs> Bad News Brown a couple of times on this show. Couldn't be a babyface. I'm glad you brought that up, Stephen. I would have completely blown past it and completely forgot. What do you make of the decision for them to cut it out? Because I think. I understand why, and it could, and it's definitely going to be offensive to people. But there is a part of me that feels like, look, this is the artifact of the time. You did it. I want to ensure that people are not offended by it. But at the same time, it feels like a get out of jail card. You know, oh, we could just cut it, and then people won't know about it. And I'm a bit like, people should know what you did. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. I think that um, if, it, if we were still in the WWE Network era, my view probably the WWE Network era is to, is to air this as it was at the time with a with a um, probably a disclaimer at the start and a disclaimer before this segment, um, like a big, big disclaimer. But the, the bottom line is, um, I guess we're mir- we're now mirroring the Peacock version and it's, it's NBC's call. And I think it was their call on a few of these things. And if I was you know, chief of content at NBC, I wouldn't have this anywhere near anything with my name on it. It's just not worth the hassle. So I, 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 yeah, I get it. If it's your thing, you can do it. You know, if BBC can put on their comedies from the 70s and with questionable stuff, and it's also got a load of questionable stuff in it with a disclaimer, because it's their, it's their thing and they own that. But yeah. Peacock don't agree completely, Stephen. Yeah, hundred percent. Yeah, it's just it's just I mean you, you said with only fools and horses they they the early for the first couple of seasons for example there are some really dodgy bits on it mm. and you thought the BBC would be more kind of alert to it than than an American network but you know they've just put a disclaimer and said look you know we're presenting this in its original form we're, we're not yeah. hiding from the fact that this is what we did and this is this re- was reflective of in a mainstream sense acceptable content yeah. and i think i feel like this should be the same here but i do understand why they've taken it out and i i guess is, is if it saves people from from being offended by it then then all the better for it mm. so on to the next match which is uh the heart foundation versus the bolsheviks 19 second contest which basically ends when after volkov sings the russian national anthem the hearts attack them from behind hit the heart attack and then get the pin matt I'm, I'm assuming this will cement Bret Hart in your mind as the best of all time, surely. <laughs> Do you know, it's funny, right? Because th- there's not many times that you'll hear me say this sentence, but I wish there was a hell of a lot more Bret Hart featured on this show. There, there was just no need for this at all. I mean, if, if they're going to have the Hart Foundation on there, give them a couple of minutes. If you're not going to bother, then, then don't bother featuring them. There's literally nothing you can really say other than it was a waste of everybody's time, if I'm honest. I loved it. I absolutely loved it. And I think that this is a storyline device that should be used more in wrestling. I I feel like every, crikey, every five or six years, you should do a main event of a pay-per-view with a with a 30-second match and someone just gets killed. Because then, then you're always thinking this is a possibility. Because that is a possibility in boxing and it's a possibility in mixed martial arts. And it's a real-life situation that could happen. So I, I, I think this is great. You're, you're pushing the, the hearts, the next challenges. They come in. They, they get them out of there. Brett counting to the referee when the, the thing was being made. I loved it. More of this, please. Not all the time. You've got to use it sparingly, but I definitely think this is a, a storyline device that should be in people's back pockets to to use. And you've always got the rematch. I know they did it a little bit with Punk and Moxley, but I think you could do this in a better way with a longer-term storyline arc. No. <laughs> <laughs> I, you'll notice I didn't say anything because I saw that Matt was looking a bit like, ooh. <laughs> I 
totally get what you're saying there. I think it needs to be with the right people. I kn- like this to me, it came across as a joke. Mm. It, it literally came across as just a silly throwaway. I, hundred, I totally get what you're saying with like the Brock Lesnar, Bill Goldberg. It is probably one that immediately yeah. springs to mind. And their first one, a Survivor Series, I would say their first one, you know, whatever. Like the, the match they had a Survivor Series a couple of years ago. That's a prime example of the type of thing they should do. Totally agree with that. This didn't feel like it mm. to me. I you know, totally agree that that is a finish that you should use time to time. I don't think that this was the right the right teams to use it with. Not the Hard Foundation, but the the you know the Bolsheviks team. You no, know, they just came across as a bit of a joke. But I mean, there was a joke. But you know, it's it's light, isn't it? This is not. This isn't serious. It's not even AEW style serious. You know, it's it's WWE family, bit of humor, bit of this, bit of that. So I don't think it's that place at all. I think it made sense. And I do agree with both of you. I do think that they should do that, certainly in the main events. As you said, every sort of five, six years or so, throw a spanner in the works, because otherwise you are literally waiting for the 20 minute mark until a main event becomes alive because you know it's not going to finish before then and yeah i think that that uh, is a very good thing that they should they should employ regularly so uh, then after an advert for the la memorial coliseum being announced for wrestlemania 7 backstage dean oakland is with tito santana oakland puts him over big santana says barbarian is one of the greatest physical specimens he's ever met but he will survive arriba then we have nice. Barbarian. Then we have Barbarian versus Tito Santana, and it's a four and a half minute match. And again, the commentators really put over Tito. They really, really put him over. Then Barbarian goes and wins with a top rope clothesline and gets the pin. Now it's interesting. This I find this a really interesting little match. Stephen, why don't you give us your opinion? Because I now now know that both of you didn't like Jesse Ventura on this. I'm I'm feeling a little bit ashamed at some of my enjoyment of his of his stuff. But I love some of the stuff that Jesse did. He said that Tito's music reminded him of the Blue Note Club in Tijuana we used to go a lot in the Navy and Gorilla retorted he thought he must have picked something up there which is basically an STI gag live on Wrestlemania and then Jesse doubled down and started listing the names of ladies that he'd made friends with there he also talked about um, Tito Santana serving the barbarians some food that would give him the shits as a, like, a, like a tactic to win the match uh, and then Gorilla said I like that kind of food but it doesn't like me and I feel your pain Gorilla because I'm the same and the finishing clothesline by Barbie if you can call him that looked absolutely brutal and he was still wearing his powers of pain gear which i was quite surprised with because he was kind of like a medieval barbarian by survivor series wasn't he yeah yes Matt? do you know what? it almost every wrestling that we've watched tends to have that couple of minutes where do you know what? i'll just start to drift off to sleep and, and then this was one of those moments it was just really bland and it was just to be honest there was nothing remotely remarkable about, about this match to me and it just it, it just put me to sleep it was just nothing about it see that there was something remarkable for me for the ballast match that was a, the way that they really put tito santana over and then had barbarian beat him mm. it felt like it was a there was a dual purpose the first one was that tito i think Tito enjoyed a more popular and bigger place in WWF that is often acknowledged. Like he was really quite important to them as a company for a long time. Had been an Intercontinental Champion prior to 85. Had been in the company since I think like 79 possibly. So he'd been around a long time. He'd fulfilled quite a big role. I think he was probably quite important to them or they felt like he was important anyway to 
them for the Latino audience as well. I think that was actually quite a big part of Tito's appeal. So they wanted to protect him, but at the same time, they really wanted to put Barbarian over. Now, I'm assuming Barbarian got put in some program, probably with the Warrior or someone, during the months after WrestleMania. And they were just trying to build up a, another good monster-type wrestler that they could have someone, one of the baby faces, go up against. So it just really stood out as quite a, I guess, actually, in fairness, a textbook example of how you build someone, mm. is that you have them beat someone you just made a big deal out of. Yeah. It sounds so simple, but it, it was just really stark here. I'd never seen it quite so explicitly done with this promo that's before the match and then the commentary team during it. I like Barbarian. I think he's all right. Um, and I thought this was OK, but a little bit messy at the start, but it wasn't long either. So it's not like they had long to recover, but I thought it was fine. I think that the Warrior and Barbarian might have done a Saturday night's main event match, uh, which would make complete sense. But my fingers weren't quite fast enough to get there in time no, I'm I'm wrong about that. They did not, so I take that back. It's just to know what he he must have been in program with someone anyway. Barbarian yeah. after this that was considered relatively important at the time. Well, he, he was the one that Hogan pinned the, the last one. Hogan pinned in the ninety nine uh, nine sorry ninety nine. What's wrong with me? Nineteen ninety Survivor Series, isn't he? So he was obviously pushed for remainder of this year. Yeah. So after that, we get some footage of the Royal Rumble with Brother Love and Savage confronting Sapphire. Dusty Rose arriving and fighting with Savage, then wrestling challenge with Sapphire, saving Dusty from a two on one attack by Savage and Sherry. We then get a backstage promo where Dusty Rose and Sapphire with Sean Mooney. Rose says you won't see them pretending to be king and queen. He says they're missing the crown jewel, to which Mooney looks confused. Sapphire said, they ain't no king and queen no more, which may be the worst sentence ever uttered (laughs) in the English language. So we move on to the tag team, mixed tag team match, Randy Savage and Queen Sherry against Dusty Rhodes and Sapphire match that lasts just under eight minutes. This one ends when basically Liz throws Sherry into the ring to a big pop. Sherry then goes for Liz. She hits Sherry and Sapphire rolls her up for the pin. Matt... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that face i wish the listeners could see that face when you pulled that face you just pulled matt oh man this 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 was up this was a hard watch this this was no good i, I don't i don't know where to start i mean okay I, I was interested in the only sort of interesting thing that i thought about it i was apparently this was the first ever mixed tag team match apparently that i thought was an interesting fact other than that well, I, I say other than that, with the exception of the Dusty Rhodes theme tune, which I do think is one of the best wrestling theme tunes there's ever been, th- this was just a gigantic letdown. I, I can't even say I had that much of an expectation for it, really. But so, so, like I said earlier in the show as well, some of the stuff that Jesse was saying, particularly about Sapphire, some of the he was commenting on a weight at the start. Um, like <laughs> the one comment that immediately stuck out to me: Has Sapphire ever heard of Slim Fast? It's <laughs> like that's a good start, and they were mentioning about like her hips later and. and like legs i was like ah oh, man just eh, eh, just gorilla was on it as well he talks about her bulking up as well he, he they were both bad here yeah, yeah. It, was, it was like guys just no just just leave it but like i said the, the commentary just yeah that that didn't help but i it, it just it wasn't a dynamic that worked very well i think it's i, I mean i don't i don't know nearly enough about sapphire like i don't know if she's had any other matches or anything like that. I don't even know if she's an actual wrestler. Based on this, I'm saying hell no, because she was bloody awful. Dusty is quite charismatic, so it was interesting to be able to see him. And, and Savage did his very best to tr- 
try and make something out of it. And probably what I thought was one of the most interesting things he did, which wasn't even like a move to an opponent or, or anything to get the crowd. The way he sort of slingshotted out of the ring over the top rope to get to the floor. He did that twice. And I just thought that was the coolest thing I'd seen him do. Just the, how athletic and quick it was. That was interesting. But otherwise, you just it was just a shit match. No, Nobody cared about it. I say nobody cared about it. That's a lie. I didn't care about it. The crowd definitely did. They were into Liz as well, who again, like I said, I don't get it, but the people do, and they certainly loved her then, and some still do, but it was just a bad match, and, you know, the the women didn't work well together. It just, it was a bloody train wreck. Big, big, big thumbs down. Yeah, I did mean to say as well that before the match, Dusty says, gets on the microphone and says he's got something for you tonight. He says that he's got the crown jewel, the first lady professional wrestling, Elizabeth, and she comes out to a big pop to join Sapphire and Dusty before the match. I don't know if this didn't work on any level, Stephen. I mean, if you say the, the crowd really did eat it up. Oh, actually, no, I know, I know. They yeah. did like it. They were into it all the way. And I mean, it, it, power of um, the, the whole Miss Elizabeth Randy Savage dynamic basically is, is what, what's going on here, what carries this. Because I thought that Dusty was actually not that popular here. It didn't seem to get any kind of crowd reaction. Sapphire got loads of reaction to what she was mm. doing. But Dusty just didn't really seem to elicit anything, which is not in keeping with my experience of seeing dusty in the wwf i feel like he was actually very popular during that run but here he just didn't seem to get any of the reaction wonder if it's the canadian crowd that might sound a bit strange but i just it wasn't a traditional nwa place necessarily they would have had i'm pretty sure they had no access to to w2 whatever it was nwa at the time and in fact even wcw nitro era they had bad access to it so and it wasn't until much later that wcw was a thing in canada so i think you're probably absolutely right ben yeah that makes sense that makes sense but yeah I, I, you know i always i've always felt like this is a waste like surely randy savage dusty road singles match is just just do that just do that don't don't worry about the women i guess the women gave them a new a first if you like well i'm not sure if of of the exact veracity of the claim that it's the first mixed tag match mm. it may be the first one in wwf but i don't even know the veracity of that to be honest with you but certainly it was different at the time and i'm sure that's what they were going for is ah oh, this is just a you know different attraction mixed tag match I agree with you, Matt. I hated Ventura's commentary during this one, and and Gorillas wasn't much better. And to be honest, there was that theme throughout. Ventura in particular was taking umbrage with the bigger people. I think later on in the show he gets very on his high horse about someone else who's really big as well. Um, and I just was a bit like, what's, well, this, what's going on gorilla, here? Gorilla, isn't it? Because he talks about Gorilla and the hot dogs. That's true, yeah, yeah. yeah so talk, actually, uh, the first time he talks about the hot dogs was actually, the first hot dog was quite funny because he was more talking about Gorilla had it all over his face. So he was more like a, you've scoffed that down kind of thing. Yeah. But then what happened later is he kept going there and mm. Gorilla lost, I, I can't remember where it is, in my, it's in my notes somewhere, but Gorilla lost it with him. And yeah. there was like a really uncomfortable like few seconds. And yeah, because he was just pressing that button. And I think he must have known he was out here or the negotiations were going really badly or whatever it was, because he was asking for royalties from their VHS, wasn't he, is what, is what the thing that, um, that broke the relationship. So I wonder if he thought, well, fuck it, I'm just going to say what I want on this. And some of it was a bit mean-spirited, to be fair, actually, in hindsight. Yeah, definitely. The, the one thing that did did uh, I was left with at the end of this match is Monsoon's commentary, where he's talking about Liz, who's dancing with mm. Sapphire and Dusty, which obviously was a bit awkward. And Monsoon says, I've never seen her this happy. And I thought, that's quite telling. Mm. We then get another advert, Ugh, for, Wrestle- then get another advert for WrestleMania <laughs> 7. Um, and Bobby Heenan backstage with Gene Oakland. 
he says that he's the easiest in the world, easiest guy in the world to get on with. Heenan says he's the head of the family. And the, the earlier on, they lost the tag titles because Andre stood on the apron and wouldn't help Haku. So this is really just about the Heenan family and the problems that uh, are going on within the Heenan family at the time. Gorilla Monsoon and Jesse Ventura are then with Rona Barrett again, who apparently has some gossip about some of double, some of the WWF guys. She says that they are very clean image. They they are very clean images of. I, I could, didn't get this quite right, but I think what she was suggesting was that the WWF people are cleaner than most of the rest of the world. I think that was what she was trying to suggest, and I was like, I think that might be the most crazy thing I've ever heard in my entire <laughs> life. She then intimates that she has something on Ventura, a piece of film of the adult variety. And they're just about to roll the footage when Ventura throws to Sean Mooney. Can't believe it. They're basically doing a porno gag on WrestleMania. Good old family Sunday afternoon fun. We're about yeah. to see Jesse Ventura's cock. I mean, yeah, not not amazing, really. This goes back to me for to what we were talking about with this, this sort of bonus episode we did. WWF's branding here is a bit off. Mm. You know, like, like, why are they entering this humour into the, the equation, given what they are presenting themselves as, which is this family friendly thing? Maybe that's part of the equation as well as to why the business was starting to drop a little bit, because they were losing the the focus of what their brand was and what it was mm. meant to do. I mean, it's been a long time. You think about uh, the Attitude Era. So when, if you go from whatever, whatever, whatever point of time you want to kind of pick from, I would tend to pick from the... Um, Put it around. Let's say Canadian Stampede. If you go five years on from that, um, then you're into kind of crikey. What are you in? The summer of 2002, some of the doldrum stuff they picked up back again for summer Sam that year. But then you had Kane and the mask on. It was terrible. So if you say 85 for the first WrestleMania, five years is a long time to keep on top and keep everything, you know, fresh and, you know, bring new characters and all that sort of stuff. And I just I guess they were just kind of running out of steam and, you know, they're about to lose Hogan for a bit of time. They were trying it with someone else. It just their time was kind of running out for that, that kind of peak popularity and it would just go down and down and down. And I'm sure they realised this, but they I'm sure sure they never thought that it would go down as far as it did in the mid 90s um but yeah they're just on the way down there or here um sean moody is then with uh, randy savage and sensational sherry who are angry about their loss savage says that suffering builds character and Rhodes is going to learn a lot of character he then says that the crown jewel doesn't exist and they'll never be embarrassed again we then go to Oakland backstage with Demolition. They say, bring it on to whoever will challenge them. Um, and Oakland brings up that the Hart Foundation have challenged them, but they continue and say that they are on. They are the champions and will stay that way. Again, I, I don't know if they're try, already trying to pivot to the heel turn. Don't really understand what that was all about. I, 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 I suspect knowing the sort of knowing of the booking way they did that. Now I reckon they, they knew that they were going heel at this point. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Monsoon and Ventura then talk about the action that's already gone down. This is obviously in their little um, their sort of interlude period here because there's mm. a whole bunch of other stuff. Uh, Gene Oakland's with Hulk Hogan. He says he doesn't need to be reminded that he faces the ultimate challenge. He says Hulkamania is running wild like it never has before. He says the power lies in the palms of the largest arms in the world and that he will ask Warrior if he wants to live forever. He says it's not whether you win or you lose. It's about what what kind of winner or loser you are. And he hopes Warrior is a good loser. But that first that first line of those two there did make me think, well, we know who's winning now, don't we? <laughs> yeah, I thought this was pretty compelling stuff from Hogan, but I, I'm not sure I'd have felt quite the same way about it in 1990. But looking at this so many years on, you know, I was hanging off every word here. Yeah, I thought this was really good. I did. I, yeah. I too thought this was a really good promo. Then we got Sean, Sean Mooney backstage with the Ultimate Warrior. He calls Mooney a gerbil. 
doesn't who doesn't deserve to breathe the same air as he and Hogan. I thought, what a crazy way to start a babyface promo. This a straight babyface announcer. This isn't like when the rock used to do it to the coach or whoever this is just weird and then not only say that he's a gerbil but also say he doesn't he doesn't deserve to breathe the same air as he and hogan i was like this is the biggest heel promo this is the biggest heel promo anyone's ever done in the history of wrestling it's crazy he says he will take what hogan believes in further than hogan ever could and he says that he will bring the warriors and hulkamaniacs together i have summarized there quite a bit i thought what i summarized was actually quite good but it it was in between a lot of stuff that wasn't so good. Nice, no, dreadful. All over the place, talking about not causing people harm, so desperate not to heal himself in any way. Wanting people to come together, just made him look like a loser suck-up, basically. Yeah, there was a lot of stuff about darkness. That I was like, what the fuck are you talking about? Yeah. <laughs> so after the Orient Express Rockers match, which we've already discussed, Steve Allen's back, thank God, being an absolute <laughs> bloody legend with rhythm and blues. <laughs> Allen says that Honky reminds him of someone. Ah, he goes through a number of people. They says, ah, it's Elvis. Costello, or maybe Abbott and Costello. Honky says that when they play their new song, it will be bigger than a Beatles reunion. And I just thought all the way through this, Steve Allen was just absolutely hilarious. I just thought he was, he was just great. He was so, I don't, they must have, they must have practiced it because he was really funny. He's like a masterful dick here, wasn't he? Like, yeah. just so good, yeah. This is obviously building up to the Rhythm and Blues singing later on, which is uh, very exciting stuff. And I was I was personally, I genuinely was excited to watch it. Yes. <laughs> Next up, we had Dino Bravo versus Jim Duggan, a match that went for just over four minutes. Um, Duggan is about to go for the three-point stance tackle, but Earthquake grabs his leg. Earthquake is at ringside with Bravo and Jimmy Hart. Uh, Jimmy Hart throws Bravo the two-by-four, but Duggan intercepts it and hits Bravo, pins him. After the match, Earthquake does another attack. Beats up Duggan, hits him with a pair of elbow drops and the Earthquake Splash times three. So more of the Earthquake Splash, Matt. You must be absolutely delighted. All that was in my notes, don't worry. <laughs> I was like, for fuck's sake. I was like, he's not only is he back again, but we have to see that shit finisher. This was terrible. God bless Hacksaw, but God, it, no, it, this was no good. The amount of times, like, and I get that his gimmick is for him to go, ho. Oh, he did it almost after every move. <laughs> you know, he hit a move. Oh, it's like, all right, fuck shake, we get it. You know, that's what you do to the crowd. Shut up and get on with it. It, it wasn't a good match. It, it was very boring. The finish, again, uh, just this, this is the point in the show where I was really ready to give up. I was like, oh, come on. Uh, you know, there was stupid DQ finish because he decided to use his two by four. That's why the fuck he carries a two by four i'm losing it already why the fuck he carries a two by four to the ring i don't know anyway bloody earthquake after it just listen to us talk about this match don't watch it yourself although if you if you don't watch it to yourself you won't know the match was wrong because he didn't get dq'd he won the match by pinfall when he hit dino bravo with it i thought it was a dq well i don't want to tell you it wasn't <laughs> this one is a dq hey man I could just refer you to Wikipedia to know that it's not a <laughs> But I shouldn't need to because you watched it, Matt. Allegedly. Anyway. I apparently watched the wrong thing. I mean, there was a DQ. I'm sure there was a DQ on the show somewhere. Stephen, your thoughts? Um, I just thought Jesse and Gruner were good about um, how stupid Duggan was for bringing the United States flag to the ring. And Haxos tried to start a USA chant and was booed by a portion of the crowd. Though he, d- he did it at Wembley a couple of years later and people may or- people chanted and I may or may not have been one of them. Um, <laughs> match was about as bad as you can imagine and Duggan deserved being brutally destroyed by the earthquake for his stupidity here. 
yeah, nothing else to add. Yeah, I mean, they they booed him. They probably booed Duggan. Yeah, they and I did. Like that. I was very ple- very pleasantly surprised by that because I can't decide who I would like to see less, Beefcake or Duggan, but the pair of them can just go to yeah. shit. There's no interest in either of them. I think Beefcake. D- Duggan's got some decent stuff in his history before this, but this, this era, Duggan is not the one. Can't help, Stephen, but feel like that's your Mid-South bias coming out there. Yeah. Not interested <laughs> yes. in anything else. Beefcake's got to go prick well, just, just get rid of both of them this reminded me though this was all about again this was all about earthquake it's not about the two people in the match mm. this was about earthquake getting him over having him do the post-match attack it reminded me a lot of the way that they one of the ways they build yokozuna up before the royal rumble in 93 so he attacks jim duggan and does the bonzo drop on him like three times and duggan at the end has got blood coming out of his mouth it's actually quite a powerful mm. um quite a powerful image for a sunday morning superstar show which is where they did it but it it again it was kind of a, a way to sort of introduce this big guy and who can they have him kind of attack and put out of action for a bit of time which as i said on the last show they didn't used to do very much because they didn't want the baby faces to look like losers ever. So Duggan was sort of the one guy that they felt comfortable doing it to. And he maintained effectively his popularity because he wasn't wasn't ever going to be a serious challenger for a title or anything. So I thought that was quite good. But everything else, it was just, yeah, was, I mean, Jim Duggan and Dino Bravo. I mean, bloody hell. <laughs> <laughs> The stuff nightmares are made of. So um, after that, we got the video build to Jake Roberts versus Ted DiBiase, with DiBiase putting the million dollar dream on Roberts after Roberts tried to put the snake on Virgil. DiBiase then telling Roberts to come get the million dollar title if he wants it, and Roberts responding by attacking him in a match. This was before the Ted DiBiase Jake Roberts match for the million dollar title, a match that went for just under 12 minutes. So this this match ends when Roberts is in the ascendancy. DiBiase holds on to the referee's legs to try and kind of stop the beating. Virgil pulls Roberts out of the ring. Roberts then slams Virgil. DiBiase then puts on the million dollar dream, but Roberts pushes him off. All the while the ref is counting and Virgil shows shoves DiBiase into the ring and Roberts is counted out. And Matt's already shaking his head in absolute disgust at this finisher why don't we just go straight to you oh! <laughs> <laughs> another fucking countdown finish just oh, get out of here of all the matches on the show which i actually thought would probably be pretty good this was it and this was just tedious to get through i just found it really dull start to finish i was massively disappointed by both and the one thing that I just, I can't even believe the fact that the commentators made such a big deal out of it, sort of mid-match, is I think the crowd agrees with me that it was dull as shit because they were doing the wave in the middle of the match. And it was quite noticeable. It, they were making a lot of noise for the wave. And the, the commentators were full on talking about it for like a good minute. And I was like, if they've got to talk about that, what the hell do you say? I mean, the, the the coolest thing in there, I suppose, the only good thing in there, but there was a pile driver happening, um, which I love a good pile driver. But other than that, this was absolutely dreadful. The the wave. The only thing about the wave is that they did the crowd did get into it more because of the wave, which is something I've never seen before. But um, a small joy in my life is I've been I've only been to a handful of England away games in my life. But what would normally happen is you'd be in this big cavernous stadium, and everyone, everyone's having a lovely time. They start doing the wave and there's one section of the crowd that won't do the wave. And that's us. And I absolutely loved it. The few times that's happened and you get everyone's booing you and they're still doing the wave and it goes around again. And they're thinking it's going to be something different and they get it again. You get booed again and you repeat this for about five minutes, which is great fun. I thought this battle of two Mid-South legends 
was very, very underwhelming. Um, I didn't want to beat either man. They wanted the million dollar title with Ted. Yeah, did not lead, did not live up to expectations. Yeah, I mean, I think that's the big issue here, isn't it? Is that they weren't willing to have one of them go over. As mm. simple as that. They just weren't willing to have a winner, really. I didn't hate this match. I thought it was probably the best thing other than the main event, to be honest. I don't know if that says much for anything else, because you said it was pretty by the numbers and it had a pretty weak finish. And Matt, you can be surprised, but what would you put in there instead? What's just really happened there, Matt? That, that, that facial, what's just happened? So you'd seen something was shocking on screen or something there. What? This was the best match. What, the... what would you put instead, though? Um, I Well, for me, it was the Orange Express uh, and the Rockers that above this. Yeah, this was awful. I, I I quite like that too. That would be on the list of potentials. But I just this was probably the best thing I thought. Other than that, I just I said it, it doesn't say much for any of it. I just no. I, I said from the start this is a one match card. The one match delivers absolutely. The rest of it's just not just not up to scratch. There's a bit of stuff as well after the match as well with Damien as always with Jake Roberts doesn't really come to anything this time thankfully. And um, yeah, we can all we can all kind of move on with our lives I suppose. <laughs> We then get Sean Mooney with Slick and Akeem. Slick says he's just about the happiest man in the world because DiBiase has given he, given he and Akeem thousands of reasons to be judge, jury and executioner for the boss man. Then we get Gene Oakland with the big boss man. He says DiBiase is scum and he doesn't take money from anybody. Then says some unsavory things about Slick and Akeem and they're unsavory in the racial direction. Would you have thought this would have been cut as well, given what they did with the bad news brown Roddy Piper stuff? This was dreadful. Boss man was out of his mind in this promo, wasn't he? Just say no, kids, because this is what you get. Dreadful, dreadful. Slick. I don't remember anything he said, but I've written. I thought the the that he was tremendous. I thought in the in the bit before. Um, I thought it was just. So, and I, I remember Slick from the time, but I don't remember him all that well. But I thought he was really really good with um with came in the segment before the boss man. I wrote the opposite. I was like, who the hell is this guy? Why am I watching him? <laughs> <laughs> it's Slick, mate. The Doctor of Style. Slick. Yeah. God, he's awful. So that leads us to match 13 of the night. Big Boss Man versus Akeem, a match that goes for a minute and 50 seconds and ends when Boss Man hits the Boss Man slam and gets the pin. After the match, Boss Man grabs hold of Slick and knocks him down, as was the want of many of the baby faces of the time. Given Boss Man's pre-match comments, though, I can't see how Boss Man would be a baby face in 2022. <laughs> Stephen, thoughts on this one? Uh, let's be honest, Boss Man's theme is an absolute tune, isn't it? Or as the kids would say today, a banger. I've never said that word in a sentence other than then. Um, Boss Man can't be bought sign over several bits of card. Whatever that cost them in terms of time and materials was definitely not worth it. Thankfully, this was short. And I somehow felt a bit melancholy for Slick and Akeem here from the main event of Survivor Series 88 to this. And I think it was Akeem wasn't around too much longer after this from memory and Slick was wound down as well. So, yeah, a bit sad, really. You, you were a fan of One Man Gam because of his Mid-South Association, I assume. I don't really like him, but I just it's more the kind of, you know, it's just I don't it's not nice seeing someone on the way down, I suppose, is it? And I'm not saying he was ever particularly good, but he just felt like crikey. They, he, he was in a tag team with Boss Man and they've squashed him and they've obviously got no plans for him. I remember around this time they used to a primetime wrestling used to occasionally be like arena footage and you get you get matches. And I think I remember seeing Akeem versus Jim Brunzel or something back then. I think he got a win then. But he might, he might, I can't imagine he'd been on TV too much after this. So, yeah, I just felt a bit for them, really. Because obviously they were, they were quite... Their part in that Mega Powers, you know, isn't to be understated. And obviously, they were a big part in um, the main event too, as well. So yeah, they, they they had a role to play and they were valuable at that time. Yeah, agreed. I, I think 
it was clear that Akeem was done because as Bossman was being up slick, Akeem just walked off. Yeah. <laughs> didn't even <laughs> didn't even like look scared or didn't even look like he was going to go back to help him and then decided not to. He just walked off solemn, solemnly. Mm. But I think I will say that the one man gang, Akeem, may be the worst wrestler I've ever seen. <laughs> there's a there's a there's a thing that certainly Tom's quoted in the past where he it's a Survivor Series match and he does a he does a knee on someone. I think it's <clears throat> I don't know who it is, actually. I can't think who it is. Someone else is quite big, anyway. And the knee is the slowest, most atrocious thing you'll ever see. I think it's Bigelow. <laughs> it's the Survivor Series 87. He does it on Bigelow. And Bigelow sells it for him as well. And you're just like, oh, man, like, how did you sell that? Like, ah, oh, it's, it's just awful. It's the weird, He just moves his knee at the slowest pace ever into B- Bigelow's gut. And Bigelow does a sell job. And you're just like, oh, one-man gang, just terrible. <laughs> Um, and then he would go on to be United States champion in WCW in 1995. Yeah. Unbelievable. Um, Matt, what did you make of this? It was so short. There was hardly anything to it. I mean, the, the finish, the fact that Bossman was able to get that finish on him was quite impressive. But yeah, other than that, it was. It, I mean, I was just grateful for a short match at this point. So yeah, it, it was it was a nothing match really. They were so in, uninterested in Akeem by this point that they were already moving the Bossman onto his next feud before yeah. the match. So obviously so what happened here is that DiBiase had stuck around at ringside after his match with Jake Roberts and attacked the uh, Bossman before the match. And even then, it still only took Bossman a minute and 50 seconds to recover and beat <laughs> Akeem. So they really they really weren't that high on Akeem at this point, really. I, I forgot to mention, actually, Akeem or One Man Gang is now currently my champion in UWF in the period that I am covering. So a lovely time. I've only got, I've got, I think, 28 episodes left of the promotion's life. So, wow. yes. Can I ask a question? Because I don't know about this very well. Yes, go on. Did the promotion continue to exist as a separate entity after it was bought out? Yes. So it was bought out in April. I was about to say April 2007. No, April <laughs> 1987. Um, and then it stayed on air until December. The, one of the primary reasons it stayed on air is because basically they had television in New York and there was some deal where uh, Turner had exclusivity for NWA content. Um, and they, they got the, UW, the NWA were able to get around it by airing NWA stuff in New York on this other station. So that's the primary reason that it went on. But they were losing lots of money and their TV taping schedule was, was pretty intense in 87. And they just cut it dead just before Christmas. So that, and that was it. That was the end. So but April, May to December was all joint, basically. I've been told not to review those shows, but I'm going to. So we'll see. So the You've entertainment level off. is low. I've got to finish, finish it off. off. Yeah, I've got to finish yeah. it off. It'd be kind of like this is a niche reference. It'd be kind of like watching London's Burning beyond episode, uh, beyond season ten. London's Burning was a great show in my opinion. Ran through late eighties, right through the nineties. Absolutely brilliant, very dramatic, great stuff. Got to the end of that, and they brought in a new executive producer, and it just became a really bad soap. Mm. Instantly, it was really strange, really weird, just completely changed. When did it finish, Ben? Do you remember? Did you watch it through two thousand, two thousand one? No, I stopped watching at that point because it just it became a different show, an entirely See, I, different show. I think, it, unless I'm mistaken, mistaken, I think one of the I think the London's Burning finale might have been the same night as SummerSlam two thousand and two. Now I remember this because I had broken up with, and actually let me rephrase that, I'd never broken up with her. She broke up with me, my very first girlfriend. And we had like a weird break. We had like a weird thing where we had a holiday booked in New York and we went on this holiday like months after we broke up because we couldn't get a refund. Uh, Anyway, after that, we kind of sort of started potentially 
reconnecting and I went round her house on that night where London's Burning was on and because I'm an absolute moron instead of staying around there I went back home to watch Summertime 2002 because I am the biggest the world's biggest idiot it was never quite the same again after that decision so here we go yeah <laughs> but I'm pretty sure that was the London's Burning finale or like to the end of it I think so yeah you could make sense. That, that was a great summer slab, so that was worth it by the sounds of it. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> now, yeah, th- yeah there, there's, there's certain things you need to prioritise in life, isn't there? <laughs> yeah, Shawn Michaels versus Triple H had to prioritise that and Brock versus Rock. To be fair, it was a pretty good show. I think in hindsight, I made, I made the right, right decision. So after this, Sean Mooney's in the crowd. He says that the crowd are anticipating Tw- the performance. Sorry, of- Ben, sorry. 25th of August, 2002. So that must have been it, wasn't it? Must have been. Yeah, must've it must have been, been it. it. Yeah. After this, Sean Mooney's in the crowd. He says that the crowd are anticipating the performance of Hunka 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 Hunky Love and asks some of the kids how they feel about it. Then he speaks to Mary Tyler Moore, who says that she has all of Hunky's albums. <laughs> playing, along, <laughs> playing along brilliantly here, Mary Tyler Moore. Loved it. Then we get DDP driving Valentine and Honky to the ring as they come out for the performance of the new single. They perform Hunka Hunka Hunky Love. Honky is a terrible singer mainly because of his timing can't even yeah. time it properly um valentine then mimes uh, a guitar solo and clearly doesn't play guitar in real life because a he would have demanded an electric guitar for that particular solo first of all and secondly obviously doesn't play guitar and then does a little singing also um he's probably just as bad as honky uh, after the after the song the bushwhackers uh turn up and they attack rhythm and blues rhythm and blues run off and then they smash up their guitars that are apparently worth thousands according to ventura and monsoon i on the other hand think they probably got them from argos for 39.99 that that day <laughs> matt i know that this is your favorite part of the show so why don't you talk us through it oh god what do you honestly think i'm gonna have to say about about people singing a song called hunker hunker honky love no 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 hunker 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 honky love come on Alex. Excuse me. <laughs> oh my god. I know like like you know, hockey's the heel and you know, ha ha we're supposed to like, you know, wink wink laugh when he's singing. But you know, when you said about the timing, my god was his timing awful. And it was just it was so distracting, it was awful. I think it's no secret at this point as well that I'm definitely not a fan of the bushwhackers. I think of any sort of team or wrestlers that I've learned about while doing this podcast, they're probably right at the top of my list of people I can't stand. So this segment was just the drizzling shits from start to finish. I hated it. I I think there comes a point where if you can't enjoy this, then there's no hope for you, Matt. There's really no hope for you. Ah, there isn't. I, my first note is, my my first thought watching the segment was, what must Matt think of this? <laughs> oh. Now, when the list of top 10 moments of WrestleMania history comes up every now and again, this one has been cruelly left off the list. I this performance... It <laughs> no, it should be. This performance was outstanding. I actually thought Honky was all right on the verses. However, he could not nail that, the timing of that chorus at all. Um, Valentine was getting sounds out of an unplugged acoustic guitar that I couldn't believe. The Honky Ets, as the Honky Tonk Man called them, were super, as was Jimmy Hart. Now, where is the VH1 behind the music special on, the, on Rhythm and Blues? Because that's long overdue. This was five stars all day long until the Bushwhackers turned up. Um, albeit, it was it was brought down when Gorilla Monsoon said, if you hung Greg Valentine for being a good singer, you'd hang an innocent person. So he's talked about hand grenades going off in someone's pocket and then someone hanging themselves or someone being hung, perhaps capital punishment. So that was grim. Other than that, fantastic. 
loved it. Yeah, I thought it was great. I thought it was really funny. Really, really fun. Really fun. I mean, I just don't understand, Matt. I genuinely don't understand. Like, <laughs> as I say, I think you the, the thing that you miss, you know, as, as I've kind of grown up and certainly as I know this is the way Tom watches wrestling. We just love how shit wrestling can be sometimes yeah. and how funny and how shit it can be sometimes. And if you can't enjoy that, I don't understand that you're still a wrestling fan because wrestling is shit a lot of the time. So I like if you couldn't enjoy the shitness, you, you, you'd never want to watch it ever. I just that's what I don't understand. I, I don't watch it if it's shit. This is the point. I'm like the fact that I'm watching this you know, week by week. I'm, I'm being I say I'm being forced. I mean, you know, it's not like anybody's <laughs> tying me down to making me watch this, but. Every week, I'm like, oh, this is shit again. <laughs> and I could definitely tell you that if this was on today, I wouldn't be a wrestling fan today, 100%. Do you yeah. like um sort of TV shows which are like a bit cringeworthy? Uh, like as in you sort of have to look at, I'm thinking like, maybe I can't think of a good example. I, the first thing that popped to mind was like a, perhaps a guy and a girl on, out on a date and the guy's doing like an absolutely shocking job and it's just like really unintentionally funny. Would that sort of thing appeal to you or do you not like... Because I know some people don't really like cringy comedy. What about like things like The Office or Alan Partridge? Are they in your sort of wheelhouse? No, I, 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 I mean, they can, I can be a bit fussy with comedy, but like, you yeah. know, The Inbetweeners is probably an example off the top of my head of, of a comedy that I love. I, lo- I love a good laugh, but it has to be funny. Yeah. This wasn't funny. So like, I don't think you like cringy stuff, like cringeworthy comedy, which is which is kind of what this is, I suppose, in a way. Yeah, yeah like yeah. cheesy stuff. No, mm. I'm just like, this is just bad. Hmm. The Fink then announces the crowd 67,678, a new Skydome attendance record for any event at the arena. Uh, then Monsoon welcomes Steve Allen to the commentary team. So we get more of old Steve Allen. This is what I'm saying. Definitely was second place in my MVP. If that main event, and I mean, is quite as good, Steve Allen would be shooing for it. Uh, after Monsoon tries to buddy up to him, Ventura says, Monsoon, you're such a social climber. We then get the final match we need to talk about today. Rick Rude versus Jimmy Snooker. Alan, during this, calls Snooker ugly, which is fun. The match goes for four <laughs> minutes. Rude hits the Rude Awakening and gets the pin. Alan also says during this match, I like Jimmy Snooker because he's wearing my wife's underwear. <laughs> <laughs> no one on planet Earth needed Rick Rude and Jimmy Snooker at this stage of the show. However, <laughs> Steve Allen made it. Absolutely made it. That, that The way he said that line about Snooker, he says, Jimmy Snooker is really ugly, if I may say so. <laughs> Like, you said it you said it you can't ask for forgiveness now this wasn't bad it was all right i guess they knew where they were going for the first summer slam so the clean finish made sense yeah there, there was a lot to it really i mean the, the one thing that just I, I did sort of chuckle at is uh, i don't think i've ever heard a commentator actually refer to a scoop slam as a scoop slam before totally random i know but it's a move you've seen loads and loads of times i've never heard a commentator actually call it a scoop slam so it's like hey somebody finally called it <laughs> so yeah that, that's that was probably the highlight for me yeah well i mean what do you say about this is not a lot to say it's another match of about four or five matches on the show which is only there to put someone else over mm. which could be safe for the tvs because more people are watching the tv anyway so put it on the tvs leave this off the wrestlemania and we'll have we'll all go home an hour earlier thank you that would be lovely mm. and of course the show was actually another 20 minutes longer than what we saw because of the Roddy Piper Baddies Brown stuff being um, cut from it. So that brings us all the way through the show. It's time to get our scores out of 10 and any gaps you've had in your MVP and match of the night category stuff. Stephen, let's start with you this time. So uh, MVP, 
slightly gritted teeth now after all the, all the reasons why I shouldn't have picked him. It's Jesse Ventura. Match of the night, Hogan versus Juarez, head masterpiece. Um, I quite like the first 90 minutes of this. And I only watched this in two sittings, actually, um, this time. And I, I wasn't far off trying to get through it in one. But then after that first hour and a half, I did think it dragged and there were too many matches. That said, the main event was so great um, that it gives me just enough to put this into a six out of ten for WrestleMania six. Matt? Um, the MVP of the night for me has to be Ultimate Warrior. The match of the night, same again, has to be Ultimate Warrior versus Hogan. As for the score of the show, hmm, I, I was debating where to go with this because it, it pretty much is a one-match show. But the main event was pretty good. I'm going to give it a four. That's cool. That makes sense. Um, I'm going to go with a six as well. Again, based on my usual scoring mechanism which is start with the main event and then see how the rest of the car affects it there is only one match that's really worth anything here but it is the match that the whole show is built for there's no other purpose for this show it is hogan versus warrior and that match delivers fantastically as far as i'm concerned i think it's an absolutely great match a masterpiece you are right Stephen. i think it is a masterpiece i'm glad though that your rating for it matt brings it down to below wrestlemania 5 brings our average down to below wrestlemania 5 i should say the reason i'm glad of that is because i think it does deserve a lower rating than wrestlemania 5 in the sense that the other thing that wrestlemania 5 had i think hogan versus war is better than anything that's on wrestlemania 5 but there are some other slightly high moments in terms of wrestling action but the other thing wrestlemania 5 had was great build in every sense so savage and hogan is built brilliantly and we've spoken about that at length and i spoke last time as well about andre the giant and jake roberts demolition and powers of pain and the build for rick rude versus the ultimate warrior and even for hercules and haku their match which was you know a bit of a throwaway match but that had some build as well here very little has a build even the hogan warrior build is only sort of two or three months long from the rumble right through to wrestlemania where savage and war hogan had been a whole year long feud not only that but as you said from the very beginning Stephen, there's not a whole lot of personal nature to the Hogan Warrior mm. match. It is just about the spectacle of these two unbeatable god-type figures kind of fighting one another. And therefore, I think it's telling that that didn't do as good a pay-per-view by Cell as the as the previous WrestleMania because it just didn't deserve it. Ultimately, mm. it just didn't deserve to get it. People were not as invested, and it was it relied much more actually, if you think about it, on the sporting side of it the idea of who's going to win between these two unbeatable guys rather than this incredibly personal battle that had kind of been built for hogan versus savage the previous year and as i said nothing else on the show really got much of a build there's a little bit between dbos and jake roberts a little bit between dusty and randy savage but not in the same with the same impact and the same oomph that we'd seen at wrestlemania 5 where multiple ma- multiple matches have been built up by it for at least six months rather than just a couple so i think the build lets this show down more than anything else and yes, the undercard's not particularly great, but I don't think the undercard for any of these WrestleManias is particularly great. The main event is where it all matters, and the main event is great, but it just doesn't it just doesn't quite have it didn't have the commercial success because of that build, and it didn't have for me, it's not quite as good as WrestleMania five as a consequence of the same thing, even though I've given them both six out of ten. So that's why I'm glad Matt, your your rating actually does bring us down as an average below 
WrestleMania five. So that the, the the polar bears um kind of been at a redemption story in some ways this uh this, <laughs> this time around. So that is everything we have got for you today. Um I hope as you you are still if you're still listening to this on Christmas Day, then you're an absolute hero. I don't know how you've managed <laughs> to do that and managed to get away from the family for long enough to do so. So my props to you. Um we will also be posting next week our repost of the WrestleMania seven uh review that we did back in I think April of twenty twenty one. So a good couple of well nearly two years uh, ago and then in two weeks time we'll be here with wrestlemania 8 which is the next one we need to review before that all i need to do is say thank you very much Stephen, for your contributions today thank you i'm a bit jealous about wrestlemania 8 if i'm completely honest and i'm getting wrestlemania 9 uh in a few weeks so i oh, thanks guys wrestlemania <laughs> 9 and the iron man match if you how has that been drawn out but anyway it's all good yeah you get enjoy WrestleMania, WrestleMania 8 you get WrestleMania 9, you get the Iron Man match, but you don't get WrestleMania 11. So come on. No, that's true. That's true. That is true. There are some rotters coming up. There are some <laughs> rotters, definitely. And Matt, thank you for your contributions as well. No worries. Thank you very much, guys. Merry Christmas to everybody listening when you hear this. Uh, we'll be back, as I said, next week with the repost of the WrestleMania 7 episode uh, on New Year's Day, where we'll be entering 2023. But until then, take care. Cause it's a 1980